People actually watch the stuff their friends recommend. This is I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. Welcome to this edition of I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. I'll be your host, Ben Mitchell, and you can find me on Twitter and most social media with the handle at RedHenMedia1. Just look for that red hen icon. And today we'll be discussing Roma 2018, which is a drama feature film that's currently streaming on Netflix, which it was also produced by Netflix, I believe. Um, and for this one, uh, I just wanted to say it includes such elements as fire, earthquake, crazy gurus causing riots, overrun hospitals, and uh, all the uh, natural disasters and civil unrest that make me feel right at home. Uh, and I'm here with my <laughs> distinguished co-hosts who are likely talking behind my back, so let's join their conversation already in progress. Hey, gang. Howdy. Hey, what's Hello. up? Hi, everyone. With us today, she's simultaneously credible and incredible, the anomaly, Kat Ramirez. Hey, y'all. Just like I'm always real with my friends and family, I'll always keep it real with y'all, too. As always, grateful to be here. Grateful to have you, especially since this was your selection. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this one. <laughs> yeah, doesn't get into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hours deep. <laughs> Way past your bedtime. We'll keep you up till you just... Once Cat goes to sleep, then, then the show's over. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> the provocative one and current Who Dundee Award winner and reigning champion, Mr. Devin Schwartz. Hi, I'm Devin Schwartz and El Fuego Comienza. Oh, very good. And we do have the uh, third annual Who Dundies uh, later tonight, so we'll see who won, uh, who took this series uh, statue home, who will. Oh, yeah. Uh, will it be my good friend, the incendiary James Pepe? I don't <laughs> think so. No. <laughs> 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 but hi, everyone. I guess I'll do a real, yes, hello. <laughs> uh, man. I would have some strong words with that morning fucking marching band, let me tell you. Oh, <laughs> uh, you get used to it. You don't even hear them anymore. Yeah, after right. This, like the 50th time. Because they, uh, you know, you go deaf. <laughs> Just sleep right through it. Why don't you go twirl your trombone somewhere else, man? Trombone. Trumpet or whatever you had. At least after 9 a.m. 
They better have had a trombone in there. Get that trombone representation. Um, this will also teach me to go off script during this part. I, I, I just cannot do it. <laughs> what, do so, we pay you, what do we pay you for, Ben? Oh, that's right. We don't. Writing the script. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the irrepressible gentleman, Jim Scott. Hey, Jim. Hey, and greetings, gentle listeners and friends. Glad to be here. Just faxing. My dad. He run down. Fax that away to your dad. Actually, why don't you just uh, hand that over here? Because our boss, Charles Miner, just demanded a rundown. And who? No, get that away from me. Jim from the office just handed the dossier to me. So let's see what I have uh, for us on Roma. What do I have? A dossier that says Roma is a black and white drama film written and directed by Alfonso Curran, I'm probably mispronouncing that, who also produced, shot, and co-edited it. Uh, it's set in 1970-71, has some historic events that we'll get into later. Uh, it follows the life, though, of a live-in housekeeper of a middle-class family, and uh, apparently it's semi-autobiographical. Uh, Curran uh, came up in this neighborhood in the Colonia Roma neighborhood of mexico city which if i'm not mistaken mexico city is the most populated city in the world could be wrong about that um oh wow somebody look that up and write in at ben at redhen media one and tell me uh, at redhenmedia.com and tell me if i'm right or wrong um roma was rated r i guess there was some nudity so yeah i could see that and disturbing imagery yeah some violence uh some language uh, the tagline was, there are periods of history that scar societies and moments in life that transform us as individuals. And yeah, that's apt. There was uh, in, a very individual story going on that kind of um, collides head on with some historical events. Uh, critical ratings, IMDb gives it a 7.7 .7 out of 10, which is a pretty high score on IMDb. And the tomatometer... Uh, uh, tongue twister, 95% critic and 72% audience score. Also hmm. pretty good ratings. Um, check this out, though. Awards, 250 wins with 217 nominations. So let's just spend the rest of the show ringing that up. Hmm. Um, or just imagine I did. Uh, it was nominated for seven Oscars and won three, including Best Foreign Language Film of the Year, Best Achievement in Directing, and Best Achievement in Cinematography. Um, I didn't actually know that the categories had those longer names. I mean, maybe I'm just not paying attention, but I just thought it was like Best Directing or whatever, or Best Director. Uh, maybe they fancied it up. I'm not sure. They, yeah, they have a string of like achievements in usually. I feel like there's like a block that's like achievements in and then a bunch of stuff. So is there a best director and then best achievement in directing? That seems like the same thing to me. Yeah, that is weird. I'm not sure. Maybe that's like a something that changed recently. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to look that up because it didn't occur to me when I was writing it down, but maybe there are two. Um, trivia. This is this sounds like BS. Many were mystified. Like many, who's this? Many were mystified by Alfonso Curon's decision to release this very cinematic film on Netflix. Yeah, I guess I remember reading a little blurb about that. Um, so I guess that's many. 
Uh, one of his primary reasons for doing this was because foreign language films do not usually get adequate distribution. Very true. Probably true of the film we watched last week as well, November. Yeah. Um, by releasing it on Netflix, Quran knew Roma would potentially play to its widest audience. And I wonder if that's true or not. Netflix isn't really good about releasing their numbers. I didn't come across that in my research. Um, goofs. Reflection of a few crew members is visible during Dolly Shot as Cleo walks to the movie theater with family. Um, yeah, it's really hard to avoid. I have I have that very same goof in something I did. Um, crazy credits. This I didn't notice. I guess I didn't really watch the credits, though. It was our Netflix was already pitching me on the next three things, so I didn't really watch. But um, in the closing credits, have you had you watched them? Uh, they end with, and I'm going to say this wrong: Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Uh, it's a mantra um, in the Upanishads. I don't know what that is. Uh, I guess that's a collection of 108 Hindu scriptures. And uh, Shanti was referenced several times in Kudan's earlier film, Children of Men, uh, Oh, he, I didn't realize he did Children of Men. Yeah, he's that, that movie guy. was... Uh, okay, all right. He also did Gravity. Uh, so oh, that is the okay. rundown. Yeah. No, he refer but he references both uh, a lot in this film, and I, I want to talk about that later. So that's the rundown. Um, before we get too much further, it is time to figure out who submitted this thing, because uh, that's the biggest mystery of the entire series. We have reached the segment where we guess reveal who is responsible for this week's submission. Winner with the most correct guesses at the end of the series will win a Who Dunny Award, coming later. Um, so we know it was Cat by process of elimination. That is correct. And so now that we know who done it, it's time to ask why done it. Yeah. Um, oh, there's so many like reasons for this movie for me. So I'm going to try to keep it concise. Um, I definitely think, uh, the biggest thing that really, I'm glad I was the last person to to go because I feel like it would have been pretty obvious that this was me that maybe I had chose this movie earlier on in the series. So I'm glad I was the last one. But that being said, um, I definitely have, you know, my parents are from Mexico. So there's definitely a um, sentimental value to this movie. But aside from that, um, I think this movie is incredible as far as cinematography, sound design, storytelling acting it just hits the mark in so many ways um that when we picked the black and white uh uh theme for this series i immediately thought of that movie because that was definitely one of my favorite movies that i watched recently um and i'm sure you're you know, telling me that this was an easy choice for you everyone else struggled so much you just you just knew right away huh i didn't struggle I once I remembered this movie, I was like, what black and white movies have I watched, you know, um, aside from Malcolm Murray um, recently? And I, I thought of this one. So, yeah, Crazy. it was that's an, awesome. It was an easy one. Um, also, yeah, but, I forgot Pepe again. Go figure. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think this is just done so well. And I haven't really seen a movie. I haven't seen a movie like this in a while. I'm not saying I don't think it's necessarily, you know, anything new exactly, but I haven't seen one 
sound like this. I don't know, to the same extent. Um, and when I've been, I, when I was reading about this this film uh, specifically on how it was shot, a lot of the sh- the, the shooting techniques, because there was definitely some scenes, like especially the scene in the beach, um, that I was like, how did he film this? Um, they talk a lot about how there was a lot of blocking and and like also like had forty three different cameras for some of the wide pan shots that we saw within the house. Um, so yeah, if I might, uh, he is the king of blocking and, uh, he has one of the best, uh, long take oneers uh, that was in children of men that film school, they teach it at every film school, basically. So I, I know what blocking is, but for, for our listeners who don't, who w- might not know what, what's blocking. And do you well, want to take it? Yeah, it just covers like where the camera is going to be and where people are going to physically be in the scene and where they'll move throughout the scene. Um, it's just staging is another word for it, maybe. Um, but it also okay. in film, it also involves cameras and camera movement. And um, you have to make sure it depends on if see, he's a very dynamic camera guy. He, he's always panning and, and trucking about and stuff. So you have to be extra careful with blocking with working with someone like him and he likes long takes and you may have noticed that he does a lot of long takes in this. Uh, I don't know if you did or not, but yeah, it's like, instead of cutting, he'll pan with the character around the corner and then you'll see them through the window and then they'll, then they'll stay on him and they'll walk back in. So uh, you have to be real careful about where you do lights and where the crew is and all kinds of stuff. So blocking is an essential and he is the king of it. Literally studied at every film school. Yeah, and I want to add, I haven't seen his other two big movies, so Children of Men or um, Gravity. So I'm really interested in watching that. Um, so this is the only work I've seen of his. Um, so I definitely was, you know, um, excited to share this movie with you guys and to talk about it and kind of break break it down. So I was excited to watch it because it's it has been on my list to watch because it did so well. And I I have been errant because probably because it's a foreign film and that's been like we talked about it this last week how we have just such a embarrassment of wealth of entertainment it's like you know we don't tend to like make as big of an effort when and and end up missing out on some good stuff so mm-hmm. i'm glad you did and i did and i didn't realize at the time who the director was either so had i known that i might have seen this earlier as well but i'm glad you yeah. uh, i'm glad you chose it i hadn't seen it before uh, let's find out who's seen it. Kat, obviously you watched it. When did you first see this, Kat? We'll start with that and go around. Um, I think it was close to when it was released on Netflix. So okay. whatever that exactly was. I, I know it's a 2018. No, when did it, when did, was it released? 2018. Yeah. 2018, <laughs> yeah. So um, let's see its release date in Netflix. Because I remember hearing about it as well and being like, oh, I'm interested in watching this. I remember the imagery of the family like huddled together on the beach. And so not unlike the, uh, the spider at the end of the movie for, I forget what it's called now, but the movie we watched, uh, this was one of those things. Oh, was enemy. Like, yeah. Enemy. Not unlike that, where I knew there was a spider thing. Uh, and I was like, Oh, this is the spider movie. I finally get to see that. I finally, this one, it was like, I finally get to find out why they're huddled on the beach. And there's actually a very good reason for that that we'll get into. But Devin, have you uh, seen this one before? I had not. This is a film I had kind of um, 
skipped over because it, it felt very much like that kind of Oscar bait. Like at the time, my impression of it was that it was sort of like an Oscar bait, like feel good kind of like, you know, it's black and white. I just didn't really care. Seeing it now, I think I definitely don't don't have that opinion of the film at all. Um, and I think that I, I definitely should have watched it when it came out. Yeah, it was a bit prophetic, too, because a lot of what the turmoil and, and whatnot and the tumult that they're experiencing is stuff that we've actually literally seen uh, in the last couple of years here. But before I get ahead of myself, let's finish this up. Uh, I, I don't think you've seen this, right, Pepe? Before, no, uh, I hadn't seen this either. Um, and actually, I one of the reasons I hadn't seen it was because I thought it took place in Italy and was about Rome. That's what I, mm. that was my first note. Naturally. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I, and for reasons I won't get into, that sort of made me somewhat uninterested in it. Um, oh, now I want to know. Uh, <laughs> you can't, you're salting me. Come on. <laughs> well, I, well, I don't really feel like getting into it, but. Um, okay. I'll press yeah, you once. I, just, I won't press you twice. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> go, go, go grab a couple of beers and like just relax and we'll try to get it out of you later <laughs> you're off the hook now <laughs> thanks i guess <laughs> um yeah so anyway i hadn't seen it um and i knew literally nothing about it so going into this and seeing what it was was a delight we were in the same boat there. I absolutely knew nothing. I, I knew less than I thought I did. I'll even say that. Because of the whole thinking it was... I just yeah. assumed it was an Italian yeah, movie. Yeah, you know, after after I watched... I'm such a... After I watched the movie, I was... I looked up. I, like, Googled, why is this movie called Roma? And it's like, well, it takes place in Roma. And I was like, I'm sure they explained that at some point, and I just missed it. I don't know. I think I found that out from looking it up as well. Um, it was in a neighborhood in Mexico City that was it was called Roma. Yeah, he grew, he grew up in that area or something. Mm -hmm. was, was my understanding, which is really cool. It's like how can you imagine, guys, like having enough money and clout to just be like, you know what, I'm going to recreate my childhood in a big budget sense. Like, how awesome would that be? I, I mean, if you had a relatively cool childhood or was like nostalgic for it, um, yeah, I I, I I would jump all over that. I, I feel like that's a filmmaker's uh, memoir, really, y you know, a, a different art form to portray the same thing, uh, much in the same way as an, another recent uh, movie in the Heights did as well. Charles, I didn't see. Yeah, it was very good. OK, I I'm going to put that on my list, too. All right. The Heights. Uh, when did that one come out? Is that a semi uh, this year? Yeah, in the Heights, it's the Lin-Manuel yeah. Miranda musical he wrote before Hamilton, which oh, is his first musical yeah. that they made into a film. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting because he also made that, if I'm not mistaken, after getting enough clout. So it's like this yeah. is something as a filmmaker you earn. Like you give them gravity for the popcorn film and the thrill ride thing, and then you know, then you're able to do Roma, right? Yeah. Because you you made all the money. Well, uh, you just don't want to come back and do Waterworld right? when they give you that. Yeah. They don't. A lot of them fall on their face, though, when they do, which is a. I'll, I'll harken back to my Waterworld joke. Um, <laughs> was that was that whoever's passion project? Was that their passion project? I mean, it, they really wanted to do Waterworld. Kind of seemed like he used up uh, all of his uh, sort of uh, cachet in Hollywood 
making that. Okay. Yeah. And it was at the time it was the most expensive film ever made. Yes. And everyone knew before it was done that it was going to be terrible or everyone suspected that or something. At least the critics did, yeah. And and then whatever whatever he had left after he cashed that in, he went on to make Postmaster or, or Postman, Postman, the Postman, the postman yeah. yeah, which yeah. I haven't seen. <laughs> but, uh, I think it was equally bad. I liked yeah. Postman yeah. personally. Yeah. Of course oh, you okay. did. Yeah. I watched it with my dad. It's yeah. enjoyable. I was yeah, bad. it's enjoyable, but it's meant to be another epic like Dances with Wolves. He was trying to recreate the same. Uh, as I believe, as dances recapture that magic, yeah, and yeah, never was able to lightning in a bottle. No, of course, yeah, not. dances with wolves was a special film. Kevin Costner was just his muse, then, huh? He's just all a wall to wall Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin Costner is the director of, didn't he direct? Oh, all did those he? As well? Yeah, yeah, that was his. He directed dances. Oh, well, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they're like, oh my god, look at what this guy did. And then he delivered some stuff that kind of fell flat. But I'll tell you, I'll say this much, though. I, I, I did always mean to watch The Postman, but it was kind of like this where I just kind of got errant with it and, and haven't seen it yet. So uh, you got one vote for yes and a couple of no's. So uh, probably will never happen. But uh, I'll, I'll check back in if I ever catch it. If it's ever on uh, TNT uh, movies for guys who like movies, I'll, I'll sit and <laughs> check it out. <laughs> it, it probably will be. Probably will be if it hasn't already. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so, Jim, had you seen this one? Um, no. Um, there's a, like a shadowy recess of my mind because because I used to really pay attention to what movies were coming out and read you, you know little tidbits on them. And I remember vaguely when this movie came out, you, you know, and an acclaim, uh, but. Uh, I haven't seen this movie. I haven't seen, um, and I might be mispronouncing it, uh, E Mama Tambien, which he also directed. Um, and I remember, yeah, and I remember all the clout for that movie. That movie's supposed to be great. The only movie I've seen directed by him is Children of Men, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, that movie was rad. Yeah. Super good. Just like this one. Super yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, and they um yeah, I I will say that in the beginning I was um also feeling like how I did going into November where the there was a little bit of a cultural and language barrier that I kind of was like struggling with at first and then kind of somewhere yeah. about a quarter to a third of the way in I found like kind of settled in to the story, but it, there wasn't uh, it wasn't like a super fast pacing that almost helped. I think mm -hmm. um, they kind of ease you into it, use a lot of visuals and such and um, really familiar settings that you feel um, at home in, you know, you're invited into these people's uh, lives, very slice of life uh, intro. Yes. Yep. And then they hit you with a bunch of stuff, um, which I wasn't expecting. And I did have to look up what that riot was about when that occurred. Oh, did you look it up? I didn't. What was it about? I did. Because um, I figured it had to be like a real thing, right? It was, it's called the Corpus Christi Massacre. Um, that's the gringo version. And then there's uh, El Alconazo, which I'm probably just butchering, is what it's known as. Uh, the Hawk Strike, because those guys that were trained up 
the Desert Ninja guys, they ended up massacring student demonstrators and a bunch of people were killed, like 120 protesters. Uh, and among them, it says a 14-year-old boy. And the Falcons, Los Halcones, maybe, I don't know. Uh, they were a black operations army group trained by the CIA. So, of course, America was involved. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't want to go through the whole thing because they go real deep into it. But uh, they ended up being known as a bunch of nicknames. Poros, uh, the Falcons, Halcones, uh, Maestros, which means teachers, and Paisanos, countrymen. Um, just militant group that was trained and, and kind of uh, used to for political violence. For whoever was in control and and benefited. So yeah, that was all real. It, it almost reminded me of um, reminded me of two things. It reminded me of like up just like kind of the rising up of fascism in many different societies, um, where like you know you know this person and then they just kind of like go way far to the right and you know off the deep end, basically like her boyfriend did. Um, and then it also reminded me of, did anyone, has anyone else seen, uh, Empire of the Sun? It's like this society in, in, uh, like Hong Kong or something in World War II when the Japanese invade and you just see this like British society crumble and just get taken over and a boy gets, a little boy gets caught up in the middle of it. Steven Spielberg, 1980 something or other, uh, really good movie. Totally reminded me of that. So anyone who's listening or knows about that one, um, some parallels there that he probably leaned on. He also, um, I noticed, um, you know how Children of Men was about like rescuing a pregnant woman in a in like a society gone bad. I noticed yeah, that yeah. theme cropped up again. So it's interesting how like writers and directors have these like themes they keep coming back to. I wonder if there's something about that with him because he wrote this one as well. I think he wrote Children of Men too. But maybe I'm mistaken, but I thought that was interesting. Anyone uh, have any issues with this, or are we all on board with loving uh, Roma here? No, I really liked it. Although I did want to ask, um, Kat, do you do you understand Spanish pretty well? Yeah, I was actually going to mention that. Um, that was another thing. So I had watched. I started watching it, rewatching it for to talk about it for our show, um, and then ended up finishing it at, uh, finishing it up with Devin. So um, I realized that the subtitles didn't clarify who was speaking and it was kind of going kind of fast. Like, even though the pacing of the moving was slow, I felt like the subtitles weren't necessarily like matching who was talking as accurately as it could have been. So I, I definitely felt for um, people who did not understand Spanish because of the fact that I was like, wow, this would be really like kind of hard to keep up with who's talking when. Um, but um, because I do understand Spanish, at least not, I don't, I'm not a Spanish, I'm not bilingual flu, like fluently, but I do understand it pretty well, even though I can't speak it very well. Um, I definitely felt like I got more out of this movie just based off the fact that there wasn't that much of a language barrier. So, um, in that sense, uh, yeah, I definitely could understand it better and, uh, sympathize for anyone who couldn't, um, who didn't know. Yeah, I just I did notice that yeah. where the I I would read something and like I thought that someone was saying it and I was like no 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 that was like the little boy saying that or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, that did a happen result, a couple times. As a result of that kind of poor subtitling, I think that I 
I can't remember. I don't think any of the characters' names in this, and like that would be part of like if there were names next to each line, I would probably remember all the names. Like I, don't, I can't even remember the main character's name because I personally have much worse memory like retention when I'm reading as opposed to hearing, and because I only read her name. Essentially, I mean, I know they said her name. Obviously, proper nouns are that they are what they are, but uh, I wasn't like focusing on it Agreed. enough to remember any of it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, come on, that, Netflix. Like you know. This is your prestigious Academy Award winning film. Well, this Netflix is, your job is I mean, distributor. Netflix is notorious for having shitty subtitles, but I can't imagine that they made the subtitles for this, right? Netflix, I mean. So you're saying that the founder of Netflix's cousin, Fred Netflix, was doing the subtitles? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Anyway, the Damn reason it, I brought Fred. it up, the reason I brought it up is because I wanted to ask, or I wanted to ask two things. First is, so I did like. I did like three years of Spanish when I was in high school, but now <laughs> I know I know enough Latin that I can sometimes, and just living in California, you pick up some Spanish. And I was noticing that sometimes they were saying things that were obviously not in the subtitles. And I was, it happened a couple of times. And I was wondering if you noticed that too. And I was also hoping that you could say something about the two different dialects that they were speaking yeah because one seemed to be like what i guessed what was like a regional dialect and the other was like not a regional dialect they did put, yeah let me just say they did put using local dialect in the sub sometimes which made what they were saying make sense because the kids were like i don't understand you yeah um yeah so there was definitely I didn't notice uh, parts in the movie where it wasn't really being translated. I don't know if that was intentional. I assume not. I assumed it was just like they just didn't translate it. Um, but uh, in all fairness, this isn't the only movie I've watched that's been in Spanish where they've done that same thing. So I don't think it's a specific issue for this movie in subtitling. I think right, yeah. sometimes that just happens. They don't they don't, um, you know, uh, translate everything that they say. Um, I hate that though. I'm just oh, just like just yeah. write it on the screen. Lazy. Just tell me what they're saying. Yeah, and it I, particularly sure. bothered me in actually the scene that Ben you used to open up the podcast. The scene mm -hmm. where the the, the Krampus character is is singing. I don't know what that guy. I don't know what he actually represented. He looked kind of like Krampus with the hmm. outfit he was Krampus in. Krampus might be right. Yeah, and he was it was there at Christmas. So I mean something adjacent. There's always kind of like that like evil Krampus Santa adjacent. Equivalent. I like yeah, that. Yeah, Krampus adjacent character. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> I was really curious, like, what is he singing? What's the significance? Like, this song must be important to this moment. What is he saying? And they didn't translate any of the lyrics to that song. Yeah, I'm assuming it was some kind um, of, like, Norwegian folk song for the new year, but maybe I'm wrong. No idea. I actually couldn't understand what he was saying either, and I really tried to decipher it, so I don't even know if it was in Spanish. But Yeah, it could have been in English. It was just so loud. Yeah, I literally couldn't yeah. understand it. It sounded like he was for like saying something in, in Norse or something to me. That Maybe, yeah. He did look like very Aryan. I don't know who that guy yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a and then group the... of rich people shooting guns. I don't know. <laughs> and then to answer Pepe's second question, um, the dialect that... So I feel like the one... The I know that she it was between Cleo and her other the other maid. I think her mm -hmm. name's Adela or something like that. Um, they spoke in indigenous tongue. So I don't know. It's called like Miss Mixtec, Mixtec or something like that. I can't remember exactly. Um, there are so many different indigenous dialects um, within Mexico. So um, it's not like all universal even within that. So those do. Um, 
come up a lot of in in a lot of indigenous communities especially like pueblos and stuff where they have their own language and then when they're speaking to like um more european spanish speaking people you know obviously they speak spanish um to to them so uh, so that raises a question thank you for that that raises a question for me though is there like a class system there like they have in india or something because the both of them speak that dialect and they're both kind of like servants or something. So is um, that like a thing or? Sorry, probably were you going to say something? Well, no, I was just going to say, it makes sense that there are regional dialects. Um, like I knew, I knew a girl um, from the Philippines who was like, I speak um, Filipino. I also speak the like language that is spoken in my town in the Philippines. And I also speak English because everybody in the Philippines learns English from like day one of school. So she spoke three languages just like, wow, out of the gate. And so I, I figured it was something similar. Like this woman probably spoke the language that they spoke in her town. And then she speaks Spanish because that's probably the, the lingua franca right of the of the country and then you know maybe something else too well, at would... least they threw us a bone and said like hey this is like a regional dialect in the subs so we understood <clears throat> yeah i would say i would compare it maybe similar to like native americans here they usually you know each um different groups uh, within the native american community have sometimes their own dialect here that they can also speak that they got you know passed down from their family um and so on but but they also they obviously usually speak english as well too so there's those both languages um that exist so um yeah kind of the same thing i think it's a little bit more common to hear maybe uh different indigenous dialects in mexico than at least i've heard here in america with native american people but i'm honestly i'm not i don't know that many native american people which not going to get into that but um but yeah so that there is to answer your question though ben about like kind of classism i don't know if that was mm -hmm. kind of what you were pinpointing at um there is very much a divide in mexico even you know currently this was supposed to be shot in in the 1970s but that is very much still the case it's very much still um my my mom's side of the family is from the wealthier side of of mexico so they have maids themselves. That's very common within, like, within all my families mm -hmm. to have their own maids. Some of them do live at home with them. So that's also common too, um, where there's a lot more of an intimate connection with the maid because of that, uh, much more like part of the family in some sense, but still obviously an employee and employer, you know, kind of relationship. Um, so that that is still very common in Mexico even now. Um, yeah. Thank you. That makes sense. Yeah, it reminded me of what I, what little I know of India and how that was a thing, uh, particularly on Big Bang Theory. One of the uh, characters was Indian, and he had like back home. He was used to having like servants and and maids and stuff like that take care of him. Um, and so, culturally, is it is it based on being like more indigenous or something? And and like, I wonder historically how that happened. Is it because like the Spanish conquistadors are the ones who became the ruling class and therefore were culturally different or something? I'm yeah, just taking, I mean, it's, taking a swing. 
Yeah, a similar history. I mean, obviously the way it's seen is different, but similar history to America in the sense of, um, you know, people who are from European descent and lighter skinned people are the ones more in the ruling class. And um, that continues on as, as part of the legacy in today's terms as well. So um, people who are indigenous tend to be the darker people. So, you know, it goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and yeah. that also plays definitely in Mexico, you know, and they definitely deal with their own, um, racism in there, you know, too. Um, which is actually a huge part of this movie, um, is the fact that this director focused on a woman that is indigenous, um, and received right. a lot of backlash within the Latin American media, um, and, Me and Mexican media because of the fact that, women specifically who are starred in a lot of, you know, telenovelas and a lot of, you know, the Mexican media that you see or to, you know, what weather women or whatever you see in TV shows um, are typically very Eurocentric looking, a lot more uh, white looking. So to have someone who starred and um, whose story was the main focus, be someone of indigenous background and have that indigenous look, um, again, cause a lot of controversy. So that it just wow. speaks volumes wow. to, to the way about, it is currently there. What about like after it's released and all the accolades and stuff, did that kind of change people's tune, do you know? Or or um, is it um, just received differently in Mexico? That's fascinating. It's... Yeah, it is interesting. Um, I think for, for a lot of, you know, um, Latin American actors who have made it within like American media or who have been obviously born and raised here, their view is very much, you know, the progress, more progressive view of this is amazing. This is great. We need to see more of this representation. But a lot of, you know, the more traditional Latin Latin American viewers and, and not to say it's in a monolithic group and they all think the same, but um, no. at least, you know, seeing the controversy. I just remember reading about the controversy after this movie from people um, basically, you know, you know, saying what I what I just said. Um, yeah. I don't know even after the awards if it made a difference. I'm not sure. I, I would assume that that backlash happened even while this movie was getting awards and was getting that kind of, you know, game. So I don't Man, think, I really want to research that yeah. more because that's, that's crazy. Like this is one of the best films I've seen, uh, recent in recent times. So, um, their losses, but I mean, yeah, I guess if their societies, it's funny how colonialism is just still so much a part of what we're dealing with today we're still like cleaning up this damned mess from that um like our like you can just throw a rock at any continent and you're gonna hit something that was affected poor uh negatively by colonialism yeah yeah it really speaks to the potency of history you know it echoes mm -hmm. and reverberates to this current day you, you know here in america and in other countries through their own various forms of colonialism um yeah if we were to translate that to a movie in america about a black maid or something yeah. going through something similar you probably would get backlash from like trump supporters or something so i guess that, sure. that would be a thing 
I mean, there was The Help, which was a fairly controversial film, even though it wasn't like not that there long ago. There you go, ago. The Help. Good example. And the book. I remember the book being very controversial when the book first came out, which mm-hmm. I think was quite a while for the movie. Um, I don't know exactly when the book was released. That also won some awards, too. Was like, it was like a banned Rainbow book in a lot or... of states. The Help got banned in a lot of states. Yeah. Banned? Okay. Well, oh, yeah. now I now yeah. see. Yeah. Looking at, through it, uh, looking at it through that lens uh, makes more sense. Tisk tisk. What a world. What a world. How about how like predictive it was? Oh, do you have a question? Go for it. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. You uh, wanted to ask him. Yeah. So I, I had a question because I remember reading in the summary, and it said it was a middle class family. So I'm wondering because uh, Pepe, you had mentioned the Philippines, and and I've had a lot of Filipino friends, and they talk about even you know being middle straight middle class you can't afford to have you know like a maid and a cook and things like that because of the cost of living i'm wondering in mexico city if that's the same way like being of middle class stature you would have you know servants and maids because you said it's pretty I mean, pretty normalized there but the real middle class here that existed from the 50s through the 70s would have enjoyed that privilege too it's just that we have a our middle class is bullshit right yeah we tend to think of like having living maids and butlers and you know nannies and stuff now as it being attributed to very wealthy you know um yeah so i would say that because of i mean so we have obviously drastic income and quality in the u.s as well but the way it's shown is so different than the way it's shown in Mexico. There, you know, you have to, there's no such thing as credit cards as loans. That's not com that's not as common there for someone who has who has who's impoverished. Like here, uh-huh. it doesn't matter who you are, you can get a credit card. The loan will bank you money. You know, um, and with that comes kind of uh, almost a um a kind of this look that's not real of having yeah. money when you actually don't. In Mexico, it's because that doesn't exist, you can see poverty much better, if that makes sense. Um, and, yeah, I do. And that's a great when point. It, and when it comes to the, to the classes there, you are basically impoverished or upper middle class. There's, no, there's not really an in-between. Oh. There is you are on the streets or you have enough money to have a maid to send your schools, send your students or to your children to private schools. There is not this in between that exists more so here in America where you can kind of be, you know, upper middle class, lower middle class, you know, middle, middle class. Um, mm-hmm. It's very much like you either have money or you don't. And um that's why things like also having a maid or having, you know, a driver, your own personal driver, all these things are so much more common in Mexico, uh, as well as how cheap the labor is. I mean, just how it's also so much cheaper if you were mm-hmm. to convert the pesos that they pay for a maid there. I mean, and most of us would be able to afford them, too, here because of wow. how cheap it is, too. So that's also another thing. And in the fact the reason why there's also a lot of um, live-in maids is because of the fact that they—that's their form of housing—is—is is living with the family. That's so it's kind of a that—that's why they also have cheaper wages is because they're getting sheltered. So, 
Mm-hmm. Um, That's more common hand. everywhere outside of America. Like pe- kids don't just in a lot of the European countries, the, the people that I've known at least, they don't just like hit 18 and move out and go get a place. It's like multi-generational households uh, yeah. exist in a bigger way and maybe this, uh, the other stuff. But um, it's it's interesting because, you know, although we don't have as great of a divide here as I assume there is in Mexico with that, um, that, that gap is growing here. And, um, but maybe instead of like live in maids and stuff, we're all just forced into like menial service industry jobs. Like, Oh, let me give you a ride somewhere or deliver your food and what have you. So, I mean, there, that kind of thing is kind of maybe evolved differently here, but I think it does exist or is like becoming a bigger, um a bigger aspect of of american life um yeah in many ways those jobs are also way worse because they don't even pay you enough to have a place to live whereas a living maid however degrading you might think that is like you have a place to live for free like no matter what you do that job is giving you a place to live which most jobs in america can't yeah. do that yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, Jim. oh no go ahead go ahead well, I was just gonna say it's also interesting. Two points I want to say: it's interesting to um, see the relationship between um, Cleo and um, Sophia. I think that's the the matriarch um, as an employee employer relationship, but also yes, like there's so much love and intimacy within yes. that relationship and within the whole family that. It's so, I think it's so much easier as someone who, you know, born and raised in America. It's so foreign to see like an employee and an employer having this kind of intimate relationship. Yeah, it's really their like, story, Whoa. wasn't it? Yeah. Like it was their story, I think, more, the, more than anyone else's. It was obviously Cleo's story, but I think it was their relationship was the central driving uh, plot line that took us through, right? Their changing relationship throughout the movie. It's yeah. the thing I the thing that I like the most too. The thing that I attach myself to. Yeah, and I was also oh sorry, Devin. <laughs> I was gonna say that I think the film does an excellent job at showing that relationship very quickly. And like within the first couple minutes of the film, you know that like okay, like clearly she's a living maid. Like you get that very quickly. And clearly she has a closer relationship with this family than we, you know, we might think is typical because of the, just the way she kind of holds herself and carries herself around the house. And then later the way she interacts with the children, like clearly she is very close to them, like without any, I think before any dialogue even happens, you get a profound yes. sense of her role in the family. Yeah. And that does that so well. Cleaning yeah, up. We yes. go from cleaning up the dog poop and doing uh, 20 light switches on and off at night and being careful. You don't use the electricity and the way she regarded her like, oh, is she up like watching us use the light or whatever? We better use the candle. And that and then by the end, of course, it's totally different. Jim, you had something to add. Oh, yeah. I was just going to add the intimacy is what we're talking about um, between Cleo right. and, and the rest of the family. And yeah, uh, just both of what you're saying. Um, like I felt loved, you know what I mean? Seeing it through her eyes and just how loving she she is towards the children and how much she's a part of the family. And there are there's a lot of instances in which, you know, you can see that she is employed. You know, uh, the uh, incident where or the event where they're watching the movie and she sits down on the pillows right right next to the children 
um, and she's enjoying it with them. So, you know, it's all like the family, but then she has to go get up and, you know, uh, have the chamomile teammate, you know, um, that type of thing. But yeah, it was, it was awesome to see that level of intimacy. Um, and it being a slice of life film, but I mean, we walk in on these people's lives and their relationships have evolved to the point, you know, where they are now. And it was just interesting to see the, uh, the director puts in so many little details, even like the little dog poop when the car, like, you know, oh, is coming forward and the doctor, you know, the dad is coming in yeah. and the fact that they have to restrain the dog because he's energetic every time they open that front gate. You know, um, of- the little birds in the cages and stuff in that little patio area. It was just all of those little details were just, oh, my gosh, so interesting. And I felt like I was watching, you know, a different culture than, um, y- you know, what I see here. But I what I see here is a lot of echoes of that culture, like when they're running the little, you know, the outside vendors and the little ice cream carts. I do see that out here. And now it, you know, you're able to trace that, um, you know, to this to this piece of art. And 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 that's uh, uh, true about, uh, you know, a culture. It was really rich. I, I thoroughly enjoy this movie. So. Yeah, that that reminded me of living in the Sunset District in SF where they lived. It just kind of had mm-hmm. that feel. Um, but yeah, with that garage area, um, I had a serious like love-hate relationship with that garage area because it was like <laughs> so much dog poop, you know. It was like shitty storytelling, but it also was the best storytelling <laughs> because it said everything, you know? Um that, that was great. They used the garage. They even opened uh, the title sequence in the garage, scrubbing the floor because she's always having to clean yeah. up ever, ever more dog poop uh, on the floor there. And uh, yeah, the airplane the- theme, the, the airplane was throughout the whole thing. You'd see the air, the airplanes uh, landing to, I wonder if thematically that meant something or if it was just kind of part of that tapestry of the place, which is kind of how I read it. Yeah, that gets it actually, I think my only very small gripe with the film is just that, and this is something, this is more honestly a, a problem no with griping. me than, than, I know, <laughs> this is more a problem with me than any any film, but there, there are times, and this happens when I'm reading as well, where I feel like I'm like, you know, scratching at some interesting thing that the author or the, the filmmaker was trying to, to make. And I just like can't quite figure out what they mean by it. Like mm. I can figure out the theme, but not quite what they're saying about the theme. And it's like again, like the airplanes or something. I was like, I, like okay, I I know you want me to see these airplanes, but why, <laughs> why? Like, and and again, I think it's just I don't know me not being a very good critical uh, uh, viewer. But no, I just no, had to, it, I just no, had to settle gonna... on that they were part of the tapestry. But I felt like there might have been something else too, Devin. Well, no, 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 Devin, keep going with that because last week, you know. Some of us were saying that, you know, the grape that's easily reached is the one that's entertaining or that was your claim. And now you're reaching for those farther grapes. So keep going, Devin. Oh, you're, you're yeah. Well. Right on, Jim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Were, were you entertained by this movie? Um, yeah, I think so. I think by the end, I was holistically entertained. I think that definitely by like the halfway point, I was like, kind of like, okay, what's the point? What, what are we, what, what's the plot? Where's the plot at? It definitely started slow, <laughs> but I think that it, it had to start slow for, for, to do what it was where's trying to do. Plot? Like, where's the beef? Yeah, no, I had that yeah. feeling too. Like, okay, well, I'm just 
patiently mm-hmm. kind of going through. I was enjoying the slice of life aspects of it very much, but I was also wondering like, okay, where, where is the plot? Exactly. It does yeah, kick yeah. in a, a bit late. In that um, way, it was it was similar to Nebraska, except that in the slow moments of this film, I was still having fun watching it because Mexico is a much more fun place to look at than Nebraska. So <laughs> more yeah, it was more exactly. fun to watch those slice of life moments because it was Mexico where things are like vibrant and lively and not Nebraska where everything's dead. Dude, everywhere they went in that movie was just like designed to give you an anxiety attack. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Even just outside the movie theater, like oh, fifty exciting. guys, just yeah. like, just like, sh- just like shouting their wares, and <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, Man, oh my not god, a moment's peace once you leave that house. Yeah, I just want to like hide away during those parts. It's funny you guys say that, just because that's actually one of the things I miss about living. I've lived in Mexico for six months, um, and and it was funny also what you guys said about the drummers coming in the morning. Um, because we always had, there was always like this person with like, I don't know, it wasn't like an ice cream cart, but some sort of music every morning, super loud. And that's how I woke up every morning was because of that loud music being played by the same person on the street every, every morning. Um, and it took so some getting, getting to. it right then. Yeah. yeah no, and, I, and even, even the poop on the tile, even the tight garage space all those small details are so accurate and only so come from real life accurate. you can't mm-hmm. fake that stuff uh crumb yeah. said that our crumb the comic book guy he would draw like these amazing like uh cityscapes you know like with all the wires and stuff all over the place he's like yeah you mm-hmm. can't just like make that shit up you have to go look at what's there yeah and draw it so that is clearly what the director did here he was well i have to i mean i have to imagine this wasn't a, a set right this was filmed at some house on in, location in, yeah yeah it looked right. like it yeah i don't I mean, know but I, I don't know but i'm assuming that it was it looked like a lot of on locations so. i would be surprised if that was the set <laughs> but they had that a is... documentary uh I, I can't remember what the name of it is some roma's in the name of it and it's on netflix oh, road to wanna... roma yeah road yeah. to roma yeah i haven't i didn't i wasn't able to fit that in because of some of the technical problems this week but um, I would have liked to because it looked like a lot of that stuff would have been explained. I assume so because actually at one point the there was a fight that broke out within the production crew and people Uh-oh. telling them that they weren't allowed to film there even though they did have uh, a permit to be filmed oh, there. Oh wow! I've had that so, happen. Yeah, and and ended up I think some of them ended up getting their stuff stolen and. And some of them got to the ho- had to go to the hospital, so it, it turned out into like a whole brawl thing, which I thought was obviously not great for them. But I was like, that makes an interesting fact for this movie. Um, it happens a lot like, more than you think. Uh, film crews get robbed all the time because they have a bunch of expensive gear there. So it's like, hey, don't short yourself on the security detail when you're filming yeah. on location. Uh, it reminded me of my of friends a... in uh, filming in Oakland were robbed, and it's like. Uh, not really surprising to be honest i was just gonna say remind me of the article i just saw of, of a news crew being robbed in oakland so i was like I'm sure not too yeah. Far. yeah 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 mm. i mean it's like look that's like a 30 to fifty thousand dollar camera if you just walk off with the camera yeah man that's terrible i remember a guy there was a local mechanic here who i had brought when i back when i had an old mustang i i brought it over there for some reason and I found out sometime later that 
someone broke into his shop and just like stole all his tools like stole his like wrenches oh, and man, shit tools, uh-huh. yeah. it's like oh you just like you literally just like stole this man's livelihood you know it's like that's like the worst crime too it's like yeah you're not just stealing some bauble like this is how this guy eats and feeds his family likely so yeah yeah that's awful yeah it doesn't take you don't have i i mean you know i worked in the trades you know off and on and we'd have like the gang boxes you know that we'd roll off the truck and stuff and that was a way to secure the tools because you know some of the areas that you work at you do have to worry about that and even when you're working in nicer neighborhoods you still should worry about that you know the theft of opportunity it's too bad you know Yeah, yeah it happens it happens enough to where I personally will not shoot on location without hiring a security detail to watch our backs mm-hmm. because it's just, it's too, you're, you're too ripe of a plum. And if you yeah. look like easy pickings, uh, yeah, someone's right. going to be like, oh, let me get that camera. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, grow eyes on the back of your head. If you shoot on location a lot. Um, I'm glad to hear that everyone was okay though, as far as uh, what you were saying anyway. Um, Here's a little lighter note, though. Pepe, you watch yeah. Gravity. Has everyone, who's, has everyone seen Gravity except for Cat? I've seen oh. bits and pieces. I don't think I watched the full thing because I, I just really didn't like it. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, whether or not you liked it, knowing now that this is the same director, did you guys catch that 1970s astronaut film where there was a total oh, nod God, to Gravity yeah. oh, shit. in retrospect? Yes, yes. Yeah, I was even that. that. Yeah. I did. I did immediately think of Gravity when I saw that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Was, cool. 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 I was wondering why that was there. So yep. I guess that makes sense. That's why. If it was yeah, kind of a that makes sense. Shout out. But I wonder. I wonder about the pregnant thing and like the whole parallel with um, uh, children of men or whatever, um, or if that was more of a subconscious one. Well, I'm. I'm interested to hear. It. So it sounded like you guys at some point we're sort of like okay give me some plot um yeah and then when it sort of kicked in it was sort of like refreshing to you um but i found that the plot of this movie um or my impression was that it was basically secondary to the sort of aim of the movie no i mean so i mean i think that the i thought that the aim of the movie was to show that um well, I'm not actually I'm not sure because after I didn't know watching this, but then afterwards I found out that 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 this was sort of semi-autobiographical, right? Mm-hmm. That this was sort of about uh, the childhood that the director had. And after hearing that, it sort of made me think like, well, maybe this is an apology then for having live-in maids and treating them in this way. And I don't think that this family treated this person particularly poorly um but they were definitely not equals she was no. not on the same level as that shifted she was, on the, she was on the level of the children in this family yep even after even after at the end i don't think that she really was on a level footing with the mother well they if you notice physically and they do this a lot in filmmaking because it's visual um that she was crouched this is the picture from the poster right she was crouched down let me go to the poster she's crouched down uh huddled down on the beach and they come down to her to her level and that's that's kind of the showing that status shift 
And then after that, I do believe they were at least um, more familial or, or, or something or closer. Um, yeah. She still worked as a maid. Yeah, that kind of did bother me too. It's like, was this supposed to be like justifying her station in life or is it about acceptance? Well, yeah, I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of, because not knowing that this was autobiographical, I thought, oh, okay, this is supposed to be about, this is supposed to be showing in a very real way what this relationship is like and how, although it may be like, there may be like a real loving and meaningful relationship there, that it's not really one of equality, right? But then after finding out that this was supposed to be a reflection of his childhood, I sort of thought, oh, okay, this, well, this might be him sort of making a case for why this sort of relationship might be okay or might be good or something like that. I, I don't necessarily know that that's what his intention was, but that is the sense that I got after having learned that. Um, and yeah, like I said, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that like, I don't think that this is a, I don't think it's necessarily a bad relationship, but it's certainly not one that sort of like appreciates her full personhood, her for full humanity, you know? It didn't and fix so that the, problem. That's for sure. Like she was yeah, definitely yeah. still in her station, but it was, it was more like her perspective shifted from one of just abject victimhood in the midpoint to at least like a positive spin. I guess it just took, uh, you know, a near drowning incident or something to kind of bring it together or bring them together as a family again. Um, a lot of that stuff that went wrong though, is I felt like it probably in real life couldn't be fixed by like an incident like that. Um, but I guess it could get you at least like some kind of like reprieve, like, holy shit. Cause that was like a big deal. Right. Mm -hmm. By the way, that was an amazing, amazing scene. I kind of feel like I'm skipping too far forward here, but I uh, really loved that sequence. That was really cool. Creepy and uh, haunting and scary and all that stuff. The little kid, like, kind of having the, like, uh, reincarnation flashback, just kicking it off. Hmm. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, let me, well, can, uh... can I play that <laughs> clip, or uh, or do you guys want to uh, hear? wait a little bit to hear uh, that scene? Well, I mean, I think I, that that is the, even though it's not the middle of the movie, it's sort of the central, one of the central points of the movie, I guess, the other being when her child dies. Yeah, exactly. That was the, the lowest point, probably. I have that yeah. as well. Um, yeah, let me let me play that scene since we're discussing it. I mean, we're talking about it. Sure. So I'll play it. Uh, all right. So she's the kids have asked permission from the mom to hop back in the water and go for one last little dip. And she's drying off the youngest brother uh, on the beach, you know, maybe a couple hundred feet up on the shore, but she's still watching.
Yeah, swimming in the ocean is no joke. Um, I used to volunteer for the, uh, believe it or not, uh, for the sheriff's department, uh, the search and rescue unit, go out to the coast uh, when we kicked off abalone season. And we would basically just get assigned a cove and watch the divers because ultimately uh, someone gets literally in over their head and you have to get uh, the rescue helicopter out there to, to fish them out. So mm -hmm. even like experienced divers who do this for years, it's real easy to get pulled in there. Uh, anyone else uh, uh, an ocean goer enjoy a dip in the ocean? When I was a kid, I used to swim out in the ocean a lot. I used to swim like hundreds of feet from the shore at like Doran Beach. Yeah, and yeah. Like now, thinking about doing that is ter like terrifies me. I'm like, what the what the hell did any adult on that entire beach allow like a 12 year old child to swim like 300 feet out into the ocean? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm surprised more people don't get into trouble. Honestly. Uh, there was a, there's apparently enough trouble that you can make like 12 seasons of uh of that uh Baywatch though. Baywatch. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Just trouble every day there at that beach. <laughs> they they should shut that place down. I mean, it's just too dangerous. But uh seems, yeah. Things like that. I'm always curious how the actors perform or like what's the safety protocols for things like that because like, I was one of them two kids in the ocean and maybe they use i don't know dolls but it looked real um no, and so. and she was clearly actually in the ocean and i know when i read about yeah. it like it was filmed at an actual ocean too because they had so many issues with the climate and the weather and the wind pushing the cameras that were on this tilted um what's it called um oh my god it's an extension it's an extended arm kind of crane thing. you mean crane like a crane yeah um they had a camera on that and it kept doing crane jib too. yeah yeah that's what i was thinking um it kept tilting and it kept like falling kind of off of it because of the wind so they had to mm -hmm. keep reshooting this scene so many times dangerous to get, to get the right lighting the right conditions and also the right pacing with the actors while doing this scene well done um, noticing that I mean, you only get the sun at that angle for a few minutes. You get like maybe two takes if you're lucky on a scene like that to get that lighting just so. That's why he won the cinematography award. I mean, well, that's yeah. not awarded. That's not easy to 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 block that out. The sun is part of the blocking there, so you know you can't control that. So it's like we have to time this exactly, exactly right, and hope that there's not some like low-hanging cloud that like comes in at that time too so it's a little bit of luck in terms of safety i think that what i've seen them do in other like making of things and behind the scenes with aquatic it really anything aquatic is the sort of rule of thumb is to to in some way make the water shallower than it looks or make this water yeah shallower than it looks so I, I don't know how in the ocean you would do that insert something into the water some kind of platform that they're on their knees on and but they they appear to be standing up but they're actually on their knees so that if anything got too intense they could just stand and be you know multiple feet out of the well, water well i like know that, that for sure the ocean, they have to have just off camera like ready to go of course yeah yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was more like just having actual lifeguards there if anything was to happen, or actually people who are professional swimmers of something that could save them if they had if to. They had, had to. to. Yeah, yeah. heads in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, and also that scene too, the fact that she admits that she regretted that she wished she had never had the baby, 
yeah. they're all huddling and they're you know all um that iconic you know image that everyone sees for roma um all she just saved you know one of her her children um mm-hmm. that that you know kind of juxtaposition of like yeah, just having feeling like she shouldn't have the child admitting that and having that guilt and crying and also while also you know saving a child at the, the same time or that contrast maybe that not that juxtaposition but the contrast between those two um, yeah, of so what was f- happening versus what she was saying for me that's sort of the central plot of the film that's that's like what i took away as the what the movie was about was kind of about motherhood and about sort of what that can mean and it sort of brings me to the, the like the old idiom the the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb so it's like the family you form the family you choose is it can be just as powerful as the as your you know your actual family so like she had an opportunity to have a sort of imperfect family to have this child without a father completely like probably like very likely her first time you know ever being sexually active having a child having no father in very many ways probably detaching herself from this family that she's already a part of to take care of her child and so she essentially chose not to do that like uh, you know in some way she says she didn't want it she probably blames herself for the child's death because she didn't want it and uh she instead Mm -hmm. chose this other family she so she's going with the family she chose instead of the family that that is hers yeah it has it had to hinge on family and um and i think that's a really good point about the being about motherhood and that cathartic moment where she was able to kind of let that out or whatever or share that was definitely like the end of her uh character arc um i really liked when the relationship started to shift between her and the mom when she came home drunk i think she was drunk but she at least like couldn't park the car very well or she was smashing up on purpose because she was mad at the husband uh ditching out um but she comes in and i i don't remember the exact quote but she says something to her like no matter what they tell us we're always alone and that was the part when she started like you know um when they were kind of both on the same side because they were both going through similar similar issues at the same time though though they were in a different class Yeah, and I, I wanted to also talk about how um, is about like kind of the point of this film. And that was one of the things when I the first time I watched it, I was kind of like it was like a slice in, in the life film. Like I could see that it seemed to try to be very objective in the way that it was filmed in the sense of like, here's what's happening and you're in it and that's it. Um, it's not necessarily trying to have sort of commentary of one way or the other but the film is about a latina it is about a woman it is about someone who's also a woman from uh, you know a more lower income background and again to go back to like what i said earlier like those kind of that kind of representation within the latin media is not this is it's one of the one of the very few that shows this kind of um yeah focuses on this kind of identity um but to kind of go back to the director and uh, he was also the writer he actually also produced and shot and co-edited in this movie he did a lot Mm -hmm. and personally i always especially love when directors are always are also the writers for films i think tends to be way better when it's like that but um 
anyways, um, I, I know it's about his childhood and I know it's this, it's supposed to be a nostalgic, like view of his, of his own upbringing, but to focus on the maid specifically feels like he's trying to kind of give voice to those that have been marginalized and have been kind of voiceless within specifically the Latin media. And that to me is very politicized in that sense. It's very like intentional. And I think also the fact that there's this overwhelming theme throughout this whole film about how, how not, not only how misogynistic the men, even like the little boy would say misogynistic things to his sister. Um, yeah. I think, and also the absentees of so many of the fathers in this film too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There seems like to all be this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there seems to be this, this sense of focusing on, yeah, the, of the women. And um, I'm not really sure. I didn't read anything specific of why the director chose to focus on, you know, the, the, these two moms basically. Um, but it seems like that was done intentionally. I, I don't know yeah. what the intent behind of it was, but that it seems very intentional. You know, however he arrived at that, that was the key entry point into this film. Uh, and, and it was an important thing that he did do it because of that representation. Because uh, we, I haven't seen, I can't think of another movie that really took maybe the the help was maybe another one but that was more of like a ensemble this really did focus in and drill down on this one character's experience so um however he ended up there it it really was the key to this film succeeding because if you made it about like a bratty little boy that has a maid it's it wouldn't have gotten as much play right yeah and i'd also want to add the um lack of Catholicism really being brought up in this movie, which is interesting because of how much that is culturally tied while also showing very intimate scenes of her having, you know, being pregnant of the, of a female doctor asking her questions like, have you had multiple sexual partners, all these things. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. that's something much more common now, especially in America, Conversations like that and, in, and 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 experiences like that are not talked about, and were definitely not talked about during that time period in Mexico. So, also for him to show those scenes, those incredibly intimate scenes, talking about having this child and the child also it ended up being a miscarriage. Um, yeah, is also without, although it's it's just being real and it's just showing how it is is also a huge social commentary too of the way that Mexico and the way those kind of experiences are not talked about within the media too. Yeah, I did notice the that the female doctor was in charge there and I'll run that clip in a second. I didn't notice the lack of Catholicism, but being that my understanding is that it's a huge huge part of the all of South American culture basically. Um, yeah, that was left out, uh, that, that uh, by being left out, it almost highlights it in a way now that you mentioned it. Um, uh, do you have any thoughts on as to why that is? Are they, is, is that a rejection of Catholicism or is it, uh, that it's just, he feels like it's too over, overdone usually and focused on too much or any thoughts on that? Um, I definitely think it could be something he feels like is overdone, but I think didn't maybe want to bring religion into 
the issues personal. that he covers. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think it's interesting looking back on it and no, realizing that point. wasn't really put in. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, no, I, so it stands out too. starkly because, like, that's that is a huge part of, of the culture. Um, may, maybe because in this, it, it being semi autobiographical, um, it wasn't a big part in his upbringing. And so he was showcasing that yeah, could could be um, a possible explanation. Another possible explanation, because I feel like that scene was complex. Um, the one that you were talking about, Kat, when she, uh, well, two scenes, really, when she was talking to the doctor and how that interaction was going. And then when she was talking to the mother and how that interaction was going and it, um, it, uh, so the point that I was trying to make was maybe he wanted to highlight the cultural um, aspect of it, but divorced from the religious overtones. Um, and I thought it was really interesting how intimate uh, Cleo was with the family because, yeah. because for one, the mother picked up on it. She dismissed the children and she was like, something is bothering you. And Cleo was so forthright with it. So that that's the in-group, you, you know, among the, a communal sense. But and the outsider was the doctor, even though she's the expert. And she was so reticent about saying anything at all. And uh, not to make sweeping generalities, but you do see that amongst um, communal uh, organized cultures that the in-group you talk about your business, but you never talk about your business with the out group, you know? Hmm. Um, I, I do find that interesting, uh, putting into perspective, the one scene we do see religion come into it. There's one scene where, where Cleo prays with the daughter, um, when they're going to bed. And in that scene, she's prominently only praying with, with the daughter and the other two boys are already asleep. And the camera shows them asleep and then pans to them praying. And I wonder if the director based this, if he is meant to be one of these boys, if one of these boys is I like his self insert, maybe that scene was meant to show like, this is me asleep, not praying. And I hate my sister. Church. And the, yeah, yeah, like meant to literally represent, like I was not a part of that part of my culture. I didn't like being dragged to mass every Sunday when I was a kid. <laughs> So I uh, totally get it, man. Now that I think of it, the the grandmother prays a few times too, right? Oh, well, that could yeah. be showing the older. He, cool. he may also just be like, hey, I'm highlighting stuff that you don't usually see, so I'm going to focus over here. But I think there might be something to that too, since it's autobiographical. I mean, I think on a day-to-day -day basis, people aren't like having a whole, you know, church, like mass you know, thing. It's usually like religion is usually integrated on a daily kind of, habit basis where it's like you know in prayer and stuff like that so it kind of makes sense to only see religion been being done through maybe prayers but the the other thing that i also notice is i i'm pretty sure um that the only time we see her praying is with the other family members as devin was pointing out and that that should also that could also be an indication of like catholicism being tied to like spanish and colonialism versus oh. within the indigenous groups of people who obviously were not Catholic off the start. That's not, that, that was further, you know, perpetrated within um, indigenous cultures in Mexico because of the Spanish. So I wonder if that was also maybe done intentionally. 
Yeah. I think, me... I think oftentimes it's the women that drag their men along to church too. Um, <laughs> I know that's a, I know that's a, a general, a general, I know I was dragged there. I think it, I think to be, kicking I, and screaming. Yeah. To be honest, I think it's true. I think that the, the wife or the, the grandma or whatever is the one getting people to go to church. And no, that's a, that's a trope. I mean, I'll back you up on that, especially in media that I've seen, you know, that's, that's, a yeah. I do remember my dad would get out of going. I'd be like, man, <laughs> let me, let me play this, uh, the bad, uh, it's called the bad delivery because it ends up in a, uh, uh, stillbirth, uh, unfortunately, but, uh, this is the scene featuring the, uh, female, uh, doctor. So my wife was in labor with my son for 33 hours. Um, and uh, so she's finally able to do the thing after that. Uh, my son comes out, they put him on the table, right? Uh, they hand me the scissors to cut the umbilical cord. Um, and I snip right through it. No hesitation, no problem. The room full of medical staff erupts in congratulations as if I'd just pulled off like the first head transplant surgery, okay? Um, meanwhile, my wife is in the background laid up in bed, having endured uh, labor for a day and a half. And I think someone might have been keeping an eye on her. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, it felt super good. I used the fuck out of those scissors. <laughs> Dude, that, that hospital was something else, man. <laughs> oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was like uh, COVID was going on back then. This movie was like yeah. totally like calling what was going to happen here. Like, you well, wait. It's just like, okay, take her to the room with 15 other women who are giving birth <laughs> and all screaming. And then that we'll try to, to do me. some medical procedure, you know. <laughs> no, it's crazy. It, it was like that where I went, but uh, that was the old hospital, Sutter. They closed that one down. Uh, the, and they opened really, the they campus. took you to a room where just a bunch of women were given there birth? Was a, yeah, there was like a, there was slight separation, but yeah, basically. Wow. It was kinda, I was oh, like, man. really? It's not like in the movies? But I guess it's more like in this movie, though. I, yeah, when I, that, you wouldn't believe it. That scene specifically, it really was uh, definitely felt personal in the sense of uh, my mom when she had my brother, he was premature. And so, and mm -hmm. he was born in, he was born in Mexico. And so, um, they had to, they were, basically the doctors were telling my mom that he was like trying his best to live, but uh, he was definitely suffering a lot and to basically like to cut the line. And, um, my mom was like, Nope, Nope, we're not doing that. He's going to live. And sure enough, he did. And he's healthy and great and, you know, no problems. But, um, I, I, when I was watching that scene, I, I was like, oh, obviously this happened to my mom. She's had a similar experience of having a, a son almost die. Um, and I'm sure that that was also her similar experience because the city that she had my brother in was also a very big city. And I'm sure it was also kind of chaotic and there was a lot of people and a lot of things happening all at once and all these decisions having to be made super fast. So, um, yeah, yeah, giving birth is, is a scary venture. Um, a lot of the time it's portrayed as not a big deal or, Hey, it's painful, but you're going to be fine. But, um, yeah, it's, it's lots of stuff can go wrong. Um, Hunter, my son was, uh, premature as well. So we went through that with him and, um, 
Yeah, so that was like instant flashbacks there. Also, like, I mean, almost every situation she was in in this movie um, caused me anxiety <laughs> and kind of loneliness. <laughs> yeah, too. seriously. So they turn it around. It's a high anxiety film. Um, I'll point out a, a structure thing, though, because I, you know me. Uh, did anyone else notice the midpoint, what was going on in the midpoint? That was the first time she went after uh, her boyfriend, uh, Furman. She went to go uh, find Ramon, who was practicing with his band. Um, and he was like, I love that scene, actually. It was a nice um, kind of a lighter moment in a, in a bunch of uh, moments of anxiety or whatever. Uh, he's just like, he's going to take her off to go find the, the boyfriend or whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Let me go grab some pants. <laughs> Um, yeah. and I know we've all probably had days like that, but I think like for uh, Ramon, that was like a lifestyle. I think he's <laughs> living his best life, like just pants are an afterthought. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that. But yeah, that was the midpoint. She went, she went to take the initiative and go find out. And we're introduced to, um, she goes out and he's practicing his, um, desert ninja stuff, uh, with that big troop of, of people and uh, confronts him, and he actually threatens her with physical violence. Um, I, I don't know if uh, microaggression covers it. It was more like just a full-throttle aggression at that point. He was kind of turning into one of the, the Falcons or whatever. Uh, I actually have the uh, uh, Magic Ninja Guru. We can listen to that. It's a pretty good pretty good little thing. He's uh, given the, the pep talk to his like would-be fascist army here he's building. Bienvenidos. Que la energía acoja a todos los combatecas presentes esta tarde. Tú. Tú. Y tú también. Tú también puedes serlo. Todo ser humano posee un gran potencial que se desarrolla a través del acondicionamiento físico. Sí. Pero aún más importante, mediante la evolución mental that's right i'll sign on too yeah so this uh, i guess this came out in 2018 so i wonder if this was a direct call out about uh donald trump or not but it definitely like kind of went in that direction he incited them into political violence right um with her like she kind of dodged a bullet uh, well i guess like a bow wielding staff uh moron but hmm. um that that guy was like crazy man like, I wasn't expecting him to go off like that, but it just showed, like, how indoctrinated he'd become into this little, little violent cult there. And I had no idea about this, right? Did you, did you know about the history of this at all, Kat? Any of the stuff that they, they kind of crossed into the story? I didn't know the history of that specific riot, but it is very common that student, because they, they mentioned that it was, like, student protesters and stuff, um, it's very common for student protesters to be met with um, brutality, whether that's by the police or by other groups of people, um, and they're to be killed, kidnapped, and killed. That's not that's not just a you know something that happened then in the seventies. That that happens currently in Mexico. So yeah, it does. Um, of speech, yeah, they don't mess very, around. Yeah, there, it's a there's a lot more dire consequences in Mexico for practicing freedom of speech. So. Um, yeah, so um, that they don't have a bill of rights there, huh? Yeah, not 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 to the same extent. Um, yeah, obviously. Wow. It it is so. When I saw that, it wasn't like 
oh, I wonder what that's, you know, specifically was. It for me, it just felt like it was encapsulating what goes on there generally, you know. So I just thought he was kind of some silly karate teacher. Um that all these guys kind of like worshipped for some reason. Um but uh apparently I don't know if that guy is real or not, but apparently that organization was real. So uh the movie took a unexpected tonal shift there for me. And not in a bad way. I was like, okay, here's the plot. <laughs> right? Where's Devin's question, where's the plot? When did when did it kick in for you, Devin? For me, it was like right around that midpoint when she when she took the initiative and, and struck out to go find Furman. Yeah. One, once she finds out she's pregnant, I kind of was like, okay, this, this will yep. probably be like a central yeah, focus. A you know, yeah. it's like, this is a thing that has finally happened. It's not just kind of not normal. It's the interrupting everyday. thing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. The catalyst. I want to say she was the only one who could do the position that he did the whole, like, whatever. Oh, I didn't yeah. even notice right. that. Damn it. Okay. Well, I'm glad yeah, you told she me. Did it. Well done. Excellent. Oh, I love yeah. that. Now yeah, I have to go that, watch that scene again. That whole scene is sort of like uh, a breath of fresh air, which really puts starkly into contrast when he does threaten her, when Furman does threaten her. Because mm -hmm. like that whole scene, like you have the kind of funny scene with the band practice, and then mm -hmm. you have this like kind of goofy martial arts thing, and then mm -hmm. you have her kind of pulling off this move, and it's kind of cool. And then he's just like, I'm going to fucking kill you if you ever talk to me again. It's like, Jesus, like really like a dramatic kind of slap quickly. in the face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, wow, okay, this was kind of a nice scene before that moment. Whoa. Um, and yeah, that's that, that really got to me. Yeah, I thought he would feel bad. He just went the totally the other direction. It's like, oh man, yeah. you're just you're gone. You're gone. Like, don't uh, like, please don't try to go after that guy again. He's not worth the time. Yikes! Then to have him be the one um, pointing the gun at her and the grandma yeah. later on. Oh my god! Yeah, let's let's roll that actually because the riot um, was also. I I don't know why I didn't see that coming more and after that actually sparked up i was like okay i gotta look this up because this seems like something that really went down but that was a great scene and uh it also these clips speak to the genius of the sound design again and i know it won for cinematography but the sound design always uh gets overlooked and they did a beautiful job in this just as i thought they did with last week's film uh this one so you can hear how this builds up and the how he builds the tension with the sound it's quite wonderful and we get to see Furman come in and just through the looking glass part of this like gun toting mob murdering people no pero con descuento de cliente antiguo ay déjenme ir a preguntar a la patrona ahorita vengo aquí compramos el mueble en el cuarto de Tony Paco que ahora está en el desierto de Pepe
Oh, that is just chilling. Um, it also kind of highlights what is effective about having kind of a slower approach is that you're really establishing that this is a, a well-lived-in world where, you know, they do their day-to-day -day routine. And then it's interrupted by this huge event. And like you should in movies, you should show the, you know, if we're making an overnight film, the night where, you know, the biggest thing in their lives happens or whatever. So this year is definitely uh, eventful uh, after after kind of just taking that time to establish that that atmosphere. And as Devin so aptly put it, luxuriate in it. I think it was more effective maybe in this film in, than yeah. uh, in Nebraska, though, in that regard, because Nebraska didn't have the, the riot. <laughs> maybe, if they, yeah. maybe if they put the riot in there. I think that the the purpose that the silence serves, like in the in the grander sense, is to uh -huh. accentuate the noise, you know, right. and then the silence in this film was so well done that when the noise came, it was so much more punchy. And and the thing with the rest is just there wasn't any noise. Right. 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 I do you want to point out that actually the very beginning of the movie where the family's sitting down at the, at the dinner table, the kid is talking. One of the little boys is talking about how someone had done something and a soldier shot him like right in front of him through a through a water balloon at a, a jeep a military jeep yeah yeah like it was not like it. yeah that's a, that's a thing that's right yeah, yeah that's right and that it, wasn't early way, kind of like huh yeah and the way that it was brought up though by the child it was very like nonchalant very like Still matter casual. of fact it was very casual so even actually early in the movie, even though like we don't have it's a much slower pace and like we don't get into those really dramatic scenes like later on, that at least that line that the boy talks about is like already, you know, having a spotlight on the kind of everyday violence that yeah. happens. Um, you know, that line was like Chekhov's gun, wasn't it? Yeah. If you guys yeah. are familiar, for anyone yeah. that doesn't know it, yeah. okay, everybody knows. Yeah. You got you to gotta have that gun go off in Act 3. It certainly did. So that, that promise was made in Act 1 during that dinner scene. Speaking of dinner scenes, what is it with parents like taking you out to your favorite restaurant to break like the worst news in the world to you? I felt so bad for <laughs> yeah, those And they're like fucking eating ice cream after it. It's like yeah. that has to be the most bitter ice cream cone that these kids have ever tasted after finding out that their dad went to Quebec for smokes and isn't coming back, you know? And that and that poor waitress has to like tell them of all about the dessert menu while they just like eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, have you ever had a table like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, read the room, lady. That's another I took that to be another like indication of the like stratification of their like the classes there, right? Because like this woman has to do this thing that no one in the world wants to do, but she's like I gotta, I gotta make ends meet, so I gotta tell these kids that just <laughs> found out that they, <laughs> that their dad isn't coming home. I gotta tell them about the flan, you know. Yes. Yeah, so, so Jim, I gotta know: Have you had to, uh, have have you had to tell guests about the dessert menu during a breakup or something? Um, Any weird moments you want to no, care to share there? No. Oh, you're lucky because, in that regard. Yeah, I only bring the dessert menu when it's asked for, or I've mentioned it previously, and um, I haven't had any breakups but i've definitely had couples fighting and yeah, usually one or both of them go outside uh you know they don't want to um, make either to cool, cool off or they both go outside just to leave without ordering anything 
So poor kids, they're just trying to eat and they're like, you know, like kind of blubbering into the I felt so bad for <laughs> to them. To the to the tres leches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stop crying in your tres leches. The mom's the mom's doing the best her best oh, job to like sugarcoat. Yeah. She's like, we're gonna have adventures. <laughs> no, it's yeah, she's come trying on, to tie a on, bow lady. around it somehow, like spin yeah, it yeah. definitely. She tried Please to get the... she tried to get Cleo in on it, you know, and she just kind of like eh. Like she, was really him, she was really giving him the hard sell about how life is going to be, <laughs> oh, be better totally. without dad. Yeah, she put her salesman hat on for sure. Yeah. And then Parents I don't know if you guys, that'll work. <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught this, but afterwards when they were sitting outside, I think presumably outside the restaurant, there was uh -huh. like a wedding happening in the background. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. There was some celebration. I knew that, but I thought it was just like a band or something. So that was she a had wedding. A full, like, oh, that's white perfect. gown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. In front of, in front of okay. that like gigantic crab, just like, where are you guys getting married? Oh, by the big crab. We rented the big crab. We're getting married. You got that crab? That's that crab is hard to get. <laughs> you got to get that down, thing like you, a year in advance. You're pulling down wedding crab money. Where are you? I don't know. <laughs> wedding crab money. I love it. Well done. You win that round, sir. <laughs> but, but again, even in that scene, you'll notice that everybody in the family is sitting down and she's standing holding the woman's purse just like staring at go. them just, there you go yeah Daging there's never and, uh, there's never a moment in this movie with perhaps one exception status. where she is on equal footing with yep. them the status has to shift one way or another so that that may have actually now i want to watch it again for just to watch that kind of stuff because being the king of staging all that stuff was very well planned yeah um, well also, i mean like there's there's scenes where like she's like they have that gigantic fucking Ford Galaxy that they drive everywhere, yes. right? Yes. But and they pile all three kids in the back plus Cleo, and mm -hmm. the mom's just driving it. It's like let her sit in the front seat, lady. Jesus Christ, she's an yeah. adult. Does she sit in the front later? Now I now I'm having no. On the ride home, she's like looking out the back window. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the yeah. thousand yard stare. She never you know? made it up to the shotgun seat, huh? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> We're we're crouch on the beach and hug you and tell you we love you close, but we're not you riding shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> no, no and, way. That's a bridge and, too far. And when they I can't, I can't break that glass ceiling of not, not riding yet. in the front seat. Yeah. She'll get there kid, someday. When, well, maybe when the kids get older, they might throw her in the trunk. I mean, who knows? Yeah, jeez. They'll need more leg room. Yeah. No, I hope that the that her story I, the, it was almost like it ended on the promise of her kind of at least starting with the perspective shift and um and you just f kind of at least like at least felt like she was headed on a better path after that yeah. at least well, but, felt yeah, but see that was one of the problems that I had with the end was it was uh -huh. like okay well are they going to are they going to shift their comportment towards the way that they treat Cleo now right mm -hmm. and I don't at least in their in their minds, I don't think they really did because you see no. when they get home, you find that like the dad has taken his stuff, right? Yep. And they've they've like rearranged all the kids' rooms so that the room the 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 rooming situation is different now, right? But they don't say anything about Cleo because Cleo's still got to live in that fucking tiny box that she shares with the other lady where mm -hmm. they can't even have the light on at night. They got to turn on on the candle because because uh the woman doesn't want her wasting electricity you know while they get where they do their before bed exercises or whatever they yeah, were doing yeah no 
if Quran's intentions were to show that she was headed towards a brighter future, I wouldn't have minded him and being more specific about that because it almost did feel like there is an element of like a mammy complex happening there. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I wasn't sure what he was saying about that, as you might, you know, call out Pepe that, uh, you know, what is, what, how did he want us to feel about that? I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was the sort of tension of the movie is because I think that they wanted to show her, the family wanted to show her that they, like, cared and supported for her in a very significant way. But they couldn't, but they, but their mindset towards her and, like, how they treat her and what her position, like, position was, was so, like, deeply ingrained in them that they could never, like, see past that or, like, take that next step. And so once they get back home, it's like right back into the normal routine of yeah, her cleaning yeah. up the dog shit and them getting new new rooms. If yeah. flinging yourself into the ocean to literally save two of her kids didn't break that <laughs> right, glass yeah. ceiling, I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. what would. Yeah. And it's funny because it, that did feel true, though, at least, and authentic because, um, you know, I, I those people that are see things through that lens – it's almost impossible to break that. And uh, uh -huh. I would have thought if if there was something that might have, it would have been that. So maybe that was part of his intention too, to just show how I'm deeply ingrained that stuff is. Go ahead, Kat. Yeah, that's kind of more what I took it. It's more just like he was trying to have a realistic look and approach that was very humanistic and very much like wanting you to connect with her who is a maid um, and kind of have that be the commentary or kind of, I don't know, the impact that the movie has on people watching it and spe specifically the kind of people like you know, my mom's side of the family watching this film and being like, oh, you know, these people are humans too in a way that I haven't really seen, even, even though I interact with these people on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. And that's why I kind yeah. of... Even though the ending wasn't anything drastic and it wasn't this happy ending and it wasn't this necessarily like she's going to like be promoted or, you know, something like that. It wasn't. That would have been false. Just, yeah. It wouldn't have been authentic because yeah, even, I agree. even if yep. they had had a happy ending of where like, okay, you're not going to like, I'm just thinking realistically, I'm like, what are they going to fire her as a maid and then have her be part of the family and they're just going to take care of yeah, her like, that that doesn't seem realistic and um i think she's that's probably what, used to the work that she does there for the household and being in like maybe she even wanted to lean on that for a while i felt there was some yeah. kind of a hint of her changing for the better or there's some kind of a promise of a brighter future there but it was very subtle you know uh, it was I think, more about well, I think her, that her approach to her life rather than anything significant changing for her. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right, uh, Kat. That and I think Ben was echoing this too. That if they had, if they had, like, if they had come home and the and the the woman had been like, "I'm going to give you a raise, and here's you're going to stay in the master bedroom now," like stuff like that. You're right. Like, it would have been Christmas Carol ending. Yeah, right. It, I think it would have rang false. But if yep. there had been just like one scene where like 
the 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 mother and all the kids were doing something together and the and the mother was sitting in a chair and all the kids were sitting on the floor and for the first time she wasn't also sitting on the floor with the kids she was sitting on a chair or something i think that would have been and could have been an effective and yeah. not like ham-handed way of like showing some tenderness just like giving giving some giving us some like Real intimacy or just giving us some idea of like what the uh, what the uh, the author the director was like wanting us to take from this movie you know like mm-hmm. trying to like show like oh these people had some small insight and now we're letting her sit in a chair instead of making her sit on the floor that you know? was it had to be on purpose because he's not he's a good filmmaker so his intentions are definitely well thought out um yeah so, well i mean it's but, like but you have to I choose i still didn't know what to think yeah yeah you have to choose between like okay am i going to show this like how like how you guys are saying like are we going to show how what probably really would have happened mm-hmm. or am i going to be a little more show the directorial hand a little bit more mm-hmm. right and and yeah, the... show like put myself in there put an idea that i have into this movie you know the risk is become turning your work into a political cudgel and people hate that people hate being lectured to in movies we've yeah, seen but that this, recently i mean I mean, this movie was never going to be in danger of that, though. Right? It wasn't I mean, because of his thought. Right, but that's what I mean. Like, he had that, he could have, because he's so expert at his craft, mm-hmm. he could have carved that little space out. I see what you're saying. At the end of his movie. And been I, like, don't, I don't this is necessarily what I think, disagree. You know? But as I'm thinking, like, how will we done? I feel like I'm falling short coming up with it. Yeah. Because yeah, even, and like, I, and I don't know better than him, like, right? I've never made an Oscar-winning movie. I don't know how to do well, that. I just, mean, you know? Yeah, but you're allowed to have your take. I'm sure that right, moment yes. is there, but I'm not sure what it is. But, yeah. but I, but I wouldn't have minded it if they did it in a way that was even... It would have to be downplayed, though, and I don't want to workshop it too much because I'm probably not yeah. going to come up with it, but, but I, so I, I see all, what you're saying. It's also on the precedent that he even wanted to showcase a status change in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there was a furtherance of intimacy, you know, by yes, her saving the child, but it didn't change the status. It didn't she change how she viewed her role. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a bit of a, a topic changing question, if I may. Uh, something I alluded to last week. Oh, yeah. Um, good time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. do it. So um, this is now the seventh contemporary black and white film we've watched in this part of this podcast. Um, and it won't be the last, w- including The Lighthouse and, and Malcolm <laughs> and Marie. And so my question to the to the lot of you is, um, you know, like, why black and white? Why is it that filmmakers uh, choose to <laughs> whoa, make their films in black and white when they have all the technology necessary to make it in color? Good thing yeah. podcasts are a visual medium. Yeah, he's now broadcasting in black and white. Yeah, cleverly. Can answer the, cleverly can answer at least for this movie. Um, just because I, I I read the interview and asking him why did he do it in black and white? And he said because it was um looking back in the past, it was really just like a nostalgic effect. That and but the big thing mm. that he tried he was the also saying is said that this this kind of black and white is not like vintage kind of black and white it is a modern version of black and white and he wanted to have mm-hmm. something that looked back but that was also modern in the technique so by having it black and white it was 
it has that nostalgic effect, but it still is being done differently than like old black and white films because it's not the mm-hmm. same kind of vibe. So at least for this I, one, I can, they did it. I can answer that it, I'm considering shooting uh, my first feature film in black and white because um, it has a lot of um, sexual content as far as the theme like that it's exploring, like the dynamic, the dynamic between um, men and women. And I thought that I had a thought that maybe it might um, kind of dilute the overt sexuality of it and focus it more on the relationships. And that that was kind of my idea, but I don't know if I'll follow through with that, but it, but I definitely am putting thought into it. And a lot of that is coming from seeing so many black and white films through this podcast recently. It's a highly effective medium and it does mm-hmm. help your movie stand out. So maybe if it's if if something's like if some guy's nude and he's um, thrashing around the shower pole and karate <laughs> and he's got everything hanging yeah. out, it kind of like dilutes that a little bit and and doesn't make it so much about the um, the soft bits or something. I will also add to that black and white. The times I like to shoot like photography in black and white film, mm-hmm. it. It is more to focus on the lighting, so lighting and darkness and the contrast. And And you could not, yeah, and you could not appreciate the lighting in this movie to the same extent had it been in color. And I don't, it's just the way our eyes work. You're able to focus more on the differences. Even like right now, you, Devin, have a very white face and your background is very black. (laughs) You know, like there's a huge contrast with that lighting and there's an appreciation for that lighting more so when it's in black and white. And yeah, it's the reason why they called it the silver screen for so many I look, years. I look so much smarter in black and white. I'm just gonna always broadcast yeah. in black and white. I look so, so it looks like you. It looks like you hold out your pinky when you drink your tea. Yeah, it does yeah. make you focus on this on the content of of what's on screen in a different way, and it can and it definitely can highlight certain things and um and kind of take take away the attention from. The and a lot of work is put into like color scheme and art direction and stuff, and so I was saying that, that that's also another reason. And I alluded to this before. I brought it up before that clerks probably did it to save money. You don't have to hire an art director to make sure that every color matches, you know, because back then they didn't have uh, Da Vinci Resolve to go yeah, in and do a mega correcting. color correct stuff. And so, you know, you shoot in black and white and all of a sudden, you know, your movie has a kind of artistic air to it and you can focus on the elements that you can. You don't have to worry about all the colors matching and uh, saving your budget that way. But for, for, yeah. for this movie, I doubt that that came into uh, consideration. I'm also curious about November because that's what originally inspired me to ask the question. I wanted to ask it last week, mm-hmm. but I thought I'd wait mm-hmm. and, and make it more of like an, a whole season question. But um, yeah, with November, I think that black and white had played a much bigger role in the film. I think that like when we saw like spirits and uh, the the devil at the crossroads were all painted white and were like shown in all white. And I, I think I detected there there was one scene in particular where I think the the characters were like painted black or like at least their skin was yeah. darkened to look even harsher and like darker in the scene and what role those played in your mind. Yes. Okay. And the exposure. Well, I, I watching this, I of the black and white movies that we watched with the exception of November, because November is shot and the like lighting is composed in such a like 
I don't know, avant-garde way where you just yeah, have... Expressionism throwback is, is really... Yeah, I mean, there are so many scenes where it's just like, there's just like one bright light that is lighting the whole scene and you're on the other side, right? So the yeah. light is sort of shining at the camera. And it and the black and white that they use in that movie is like really, really black and white, where it's like really just black and really just white. Whereas in this one, it's not. You have a lot more gradient. Yeah. But man, it looked beautiful, <laughs> this movie. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, like it's no, it's no wonder why this guy won an, uh, an Oscar for cinematography. It looks oh God, so yeah. good. Let me let me play a clip since we're talking about cinematography. <laughs> I'll just describe the scene. It was like yeah. this deep focus. Uh, you got your hill in the foreground, the medium ground. You have like a field where all the uh, background actors are, and then you have this deep focus into like this farmland, rolling hills, and, and the, all this beautiful, beautiful stuff. And of course, his staging is fantastic. You're, you're, you start the scene following the kids and the family doing kids and family stuff. And then you have the two uh, like maids, Cleo, and I forget her the other one's name, but the walking up the hill and they kind of pop in at the right time. And it's just so beautifully shot. And again, though, they sell it through the sound so damn well here. It's just, this is much a much more pleasant clip. Oh, and the kid's talking about, for some reason, looking at the panties of the hill or something. I didn't quite get that. Oh, maybe. yeah. This, well, the woman says the skirts of the mountain, and the boy's oh, like, skirts okay. of the mountain. That's what it was. He, I was like, what, what is, where did he get that? Anyway, it's pretty funny. Uh, good, good entry point in the scene. But uh, yeah, you can, you can almost feel the, the depth and the richness of the environment through the sound, too. I hope. I mean, you can feel the depth in the sound as well, and he definitely had that much or more in the visuals. It was just so well done. A lot of good, a lot of good uh, sheep foley in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and they played with the depth and the footsteps, and they did that. I mean, it was more than just this scene, but that was one of the most dynamic in, in as far as like where you were hearing the sound from. Uh, yeah. Really sold it. A lot of films don't don't deliver on that, and um, the last two actually have. November was incredible with the sound as well, so been very happy on that. And I thought it was going to be hard to get sound clips because it was in a foreign language, both of these films. But I ended up getting a ton of them and having to like whittle it down, you know. I find with the cinematography that, uh, it, like, in my opinion, good cinematography, you just, like, don't notice it. Bad cinematography, it's, like, glaring. There's too many cuts. It's too janky. Great cinematography falls in that, like, really narrow category where you notice it, but you notice how good it is. And that this, like, falls right in there where you're, like, you see a shot. You're, like, wow, this is, like, a very cool one shot. Like, I am noticing that this is a very long like succinct take that that fits in all these interesting elements and like you, you notice it but it doesn't pull you out of the film it pulls you into it and i also am always appreciative of how difficult it must have been from a filmmaking standpoint but i mean that's just because i'm trained that way but um it doesn't tend to pull me out of the story but uh yeah i agree with you uh, the same way with editing you really shouldn't notice it uh 
if it's done right. Um, and, but then sometimes if you do, it falls into that unique little niche where it it's like, man, that was like really creative or whatever. But that's that's uh, really hard to attain that. And this this film did it not only just in that scene, but uh, it was pretty co consistent throughout. Even in the uh, they had me from the the opening credits, really. Dude, that scene in the opening credits was incredible. Yeah, and then you get the reflection of the airplane, and um, my God, well done. I, well, that that scene was incredible because it the camera didn't move, but uh, you like a story was told, and you gained new knowledge about the environment from. Yeah, it was just so fucking good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I also read how he didn't use any dolly shots. So, like, he, there was no in or out, like, moving a camera inwards and outwards. No um, so, it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all of it was just, uh, tilts yeah, tilts and pans. Um, and he said he did that intentionally to make it feel a lot more like you were simply there observing what was happening versus, you know, oh, it, I, I like don't, that. Yeah. I don't, that. that came through. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about this film was how natural and authentic everything felt. And of course, like knowing that it's not natural, like knowing that like there was so much work that had to be put in order to get that shot right, um, to make it feel so natural and real um, was, you know, just it's what so made hard this to film do. so great. He yeah. has to be the best filmmaker at that that's living right now. I can't think of someone else who even comes close, to be honest. It's so hard to stage that stuff and make it all, all those little moving parts have to come together. It's, it's incredibly expensive to do oneers. And this guy just does them like several scattered throughout the movie. He almost like favors them over, over he favors these long takes over doing cuts. And it does make you feel like you're kind of grounded in that scene looking around. It's almost like a VR experience in that sense, you know? You feel like you're there and present in and the, the most thing, uncomfortable times, too. Yeah, and the other thing is that um, the main actress, I'm forgetting her name, um, she she said the only acting she's ever done has been lying to her parents and teachers. That's the only, <laughs> that's the only serious acting she has ever done, and um, which I'm sure that's part of the backlash that she also received was the fact that yeah, she didn't yeah. go to this prestigious, you know, art school for theater and acting. She just was no, she, she got was, the role. She was kind of like typecast, but that's okay. But I did notice she has something else coming out, so I'm rooting for her. Um, something that's coming out. I, I didn't catch when, but she. I looked at all their IMDb's and noticed that she had some. A lot of the people hadn't done anything before this, at least not that would have made it on their IMDb resume. But I don't have a um, a segue for this, but I want to play one more clip. Um, basically, this is um, it. It shows that even though she, uh, I think it's Cleo, am I am I mistaken? She's there uh, in the in the sense of being with the family through all their ups and downs, but um. When the husband, when the wife finds out and finally kind of comes to accept that the husband's not coming back, uh, there's a scene when she's there and it's like super awkward, you know, and it's like made me glad that we don't like have to have servants to make households run anymore. Like the technology has bridged that gap, you know, um, because, yeah, I really wouldn't want someone there <laughs> during that kind of like moment that wasn't like part of the immediate family. Um, I call this clip Trouble in Paradise. 
yo siempre te hago tratando que tiene, no tiene pantalones para decirle puras mentiras. Ándale, Paco. Así que no te preocupes, te marco después. Paco, venga. ¿Usted qué me estás espiando, eh? Yeah, so we have what like kings and like upper class people didn't even get to and maybe even still don't get to enjoy and that is to uh suffer the privacy of our own homes, you know, without a bunch of people around to witness it. Um but it also I mean it also in a filmmaking uh sense it was a good way to show how their relationship was evolving and still needed to evolve. Yeah, that scene definitely like was another reminder of like she's the employer she's the employee yep. you know it definitely was like another it seemed like anytime she was stressful stressed out and in a bad place that was when it really came out and she kind of she lashed like, out her like a dog anger. or something almost yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah even when she took her to the doctor to get help it was like she was a second tier person and the doctors would talk to the wife and not to Cleo. Mm -hmm. Even though she was, was helping her. In the store, the same thing. When she took her to the store, it was like, you will you know, everyone addressed her, the, the wife there. Which also even goes back to that beach scene of like, she, yes, she, she was told, Cleo, Cleo was told that she was loved, but it was after she did something like she, because she saved the child. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, and like, of course, she wasn't going to just be like, I'm going to grab my child and just treat you like shit. You know, she was like, obviously very thankful for that. But even that exchange of intimacy it had me wondering of just like, well, it was almost like she was rewarded for that behavior that, that still had that dynamic almost. Of yeah, like, I use the term kick the dog. And I think that that almost applies here in a sick way because it's like, you know, you love your dog, but get the fuck off the couch kind of attitude was like, you know, it's almost like dehumanizing in a way. Like, yeah, I love you, mm -hmm. but like a, a, a master loves his servant, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, the more we talk, the more I'm thinking that he was trying to highlight that, that class difference and how strong those ties are. Similar to November. Because the uh, Baron kind of had that aloof. Yeah. Weird, wild stuff. So is there anything else you guys wanted to chit-chat about before we uh, cut to a commercial break? Oh, there was one thing. Sure. I thought that the, um, the first time when she goes to the hospital and um, they tell her to, like, go look at the newborns, right? Yeah. And then there's that earthquake and then there's that shot of one of the babies in the in the like intensive care yeah the incubator yeah, yeah. and then like a bunch of like rubble just like falls on top of it oh. um yep i was, was expecting that to have like yeah. i was expecting that to have some significance maybe like allegorical or metaphorical something like that 
but I wasn't able to like tease it out. So do you guys have a, did you guys have a read on that scene? I mean, it, to me, it smacks of just a very direct foreshadowing of what ends up happening to her. But uh, if anyone else has an, a different take, uh, I'd love to hear it. I mean, to be honest, and this probably isn't the maybe answer you wanted um, from it, but it just seemed realistic in the sense of earthquakes happen a lot in Mexico, especially Mexico City. Like my uncle has, oh, has okay. my uncle lives in Mexico City, so they've dealt with the last big earthquake, and that's people died, and that's just what it, like it's a common thing that happens there. She um, seemed so, nonplussed by it, which struck me as odd. Yeah. Yeah, because it's common. Um, so, so it's another it, it slice is, of life element. It is. And I know that seems like, I think more, there's more probably commentary about like the whole newborns and that earthquake scene. Like that probably there is something more depth to that. But at least as far as just the earthquake in itself happening, it was just another like realistic, like this is something that people have to deal with on a day-to-day, not on a daily basis but on a pretty common basis in areas like mexico city i also saw it as foreshadowing i think just because the idea that it's like a a catastrophe that then proceeds like you know this rubble falls on the baby's incubator and then later on there's this catastrophe when she goes into labor and like could have very much contributed to her baby's death the fact that she wasn't able to get to the hospital for hours um, mm-hmm. after her labor began so it's like similar it sort of mirrored later what happened with the riot breaking out and then it resulting in the death of her child you know there's a saying in filmmaking that you don't you don't write a scene for just one reason you at minimum want to write it for two reasons so in that in that case i think that it applies and also the fire scene i mean that was another chaotic oh scene. yeah you know? that was so odd to me yeah did we um, find, yeah. did we know what started that or did I think there were fireworks going off because it was near yeah, the fireworks? Yeah. It was fireworks. Okay, I thought maybe some of the gun nuts had, like did something and left something behind or whatever. So it was uh, okay. So the town was doing fireworks for New Year's. Okay, that makes sense. Remind reminded me of Titanic when the sink the the boats sinking the ship sinking and there's the violinist playing the music while people are screaming and crying and stuff. Um, and then you have that, whatever that guy in that full suit singing as like chaos yeah, right. is being yeah. erupted behind so them. Odd. So yeah. odd. It's an interesting scene. Let me, let me play one more clip just because the, the, um, upper class people firing off guns was also just a little bizarre thing. I got a couple seconds of that. Okay, honey, just put your feet in the T position, pull the trigger way back and shoot. Guns are so much fun. They're toys. (laughs) And for it to be said in English, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. That was funny. It was by Americans. Yeah, exactly. They were introducing the gun fun. Yeah, exactly. Here, play Um, with this. And the little boy was like kind of wandering into the fire line. And she's like the only one that was like, hey, don't walk over there. Maybe play over here. And I thought for sure someone was going to get shot. I thought for sure. I mean, talk about Chekhov's gun, right? Like, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There will be bullets. And not to mention also that dog scene where there's a bunch of dog heads on the wall. I thought that dog was going down in like two scenes from then, yeah. 
That was weird. Yeah. Oh yeah, he ate the poisoned rat or whatever last year. Pogo Who here. does that? Who does that to their dogs? Oh my like, god! Oh yeah. man. Hunting trophies. Jeez. That's yeah. Maybe that was also a comment on class there too. I, I did because they loved house. the dog too, but they also just hung its head up on a trophy thing after it died. Right. I, I went to someone's house once that had a um a collection of taxidermy cats that had previously been theirs. Oh my it's god. Like every cat they'd ever owned they had like six taxidermy cats just like lined up in like a little display. It was it was very bizarre. That's creepy. Yeah. That would, a very just old be like a, that would just be like a sad reminder at best. Yeah. Yeah. That your loved beloved pet is gone. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see the uh the benefit of that uh, feel, unless you're yeah. unless you're in psycho and like that's the thing right? <laughs> yeah right you know you eat like a bird <laughs> unless you're unless you're a serial killer and needs some needs to really lay some some good lines on women about how they eat like birds yeah exactly <laughs> gotta, give, gotta exactly. give some creepy ass line like that some context right? you know some real nice guy stuff right <laughs> yeah yeah I'm surprised you didn't have a fedora <laughs> you know i when when um when that guy at first started doing um oh shoot i forget his name Furman. when the first time we see him doing the karate i was like oh this guy's like like napoleon dynamite he like has oh my god skills. i totally thought of napoleon dynamite too that's weird. Oh, yeah. Well, his character takes such an abrupt turn because he seems yeah. like a pretty nice guy for totally. most of the movie. But then I knew immediately. I, I did you? I, I knew immediately when when the woman when uh, Cleo told him he was she was pregnant, and then he was like, "I have to go to the bathroom." Oh, and she totally. was like, "It's almost over." He's, I'm like, He's yeah. never coming back. Yeah. yeah, I picked up on that. I knew yeah, that. I yeah, knew that immediately. Yeah, I don't know he when was he was like. He was sweet talking to her. I, for me, that's when I was like, "Oh, he's he seems to, in modern terms, with us young and say, he seemed like a fuck boy to me." So I got yeah, red flags true. early on. I was like, "Oh, he's definitely lying to her. He's just trying to get in her pants," and that's it. At yeah. some point, obviously, he had a complete freak out about the whole thing. I think at first he was like almost trying to do do the right thing as he saw it, and was like, "Well, that's a good thing, right?" And uh, and then it just uh, he, the reality of it so slowly like crushed him or whatever you know, and he had to escape. Yeah, and then and then poor Cleo had to go sit outside and of the theater and listen to that man like with the like balls just like yell about his balls for so long, <laughs> waiting for him to come back. Yeah, that scene reminded me why I. Uh, need to take breaks from like public spaces like that sometimes it's just like oh my god that's so overwhelming i'm gonna have like oh, an and the guy attack. the guy with the like little magic dancing skeleton mm -hmm. did you guys see i wonder i was like that? how does that work <laughs> yeah i was, so intrigued. I was very confused <laughs> black magic fuckery <laughs> yeah <Okay>. right it's <laughs> a witch Cool. Well, I think we all thoroughly enjoyed um, Roma. Um, so I'm curious yep. to see where the grades end up. Um, but first, um, while you decide what you're going to grade this thing, we have time for a short commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. 
Are you experiencing moments of clarity that steal your focus from drinking and huffing your life away? Longing for an authoritarian guru to sober you up and give your life direction? Any direction? Then you might be a candidate for Professor Zovek's secret desert ninja training camp. You'll gain proficiency with a hard wood weapon that you can whip out at home to impress your girl. Why is Professor Zovek training secret desert ninjas? Shh. Don't you worry your naked little head. Just sign here and then strike this moderately difficult yoga pose. Looking good, Superman. Side effects include hypermachismo, fascism, inciting a riot, political violence, murder, and using a pistol to threaten your ex-girlfriend who you impregnated and then abandoned. Professor Zovik's secret desert ninja training camp. The name alone should be more than enough to convince you. Join today. Nice. <laughs> where, where do I sign up? I want a newsletter. <laughs> All right, I totally guys. Thought, uh, go ahead, ben, go ahead. Yeah, I totally thought you were going to do an ad, a commercial ad for the car going into the garage. Something about that scene. I was like, that was he's going to... Yeah, I was like, maybe he's going to do yeah. something with that. Some kind <laughs> of automobile great. lubricant to help with your... Oh my gosh. <laughs> automobile lubricant. That's one of the, th the great storytelling aspects of just that garage. It was like the history of that garage that we get. We even... The garage has a uh, character arc, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Like, a little car in at the end and just like takes that space for herself. I loved that. That was a really, that was a really yeah. good arc. The mom really takes out her aggression on that car, on the, her husband's car. Like she sure. really like, just, just just beats the shit out of that car in every opportunity oh, she man. gets. That was so. I like I like old cars, so that was hard for me to watch, man. Oh man, it was so hard. Yeah, that was. Yeah, right. Whenever, that was whenever I see whenever I see a car like that wrecked in a movie, I always just think like, why? Just give it to me. I'll take care of it. Don't wreck it. Just give it to me. <laughs> Don't wreck the car. Yeah. When she tried to when she tried to go between those two trucks, I was just like, "Oh no, what oh, have you yeah, done?" Oh yeah, that scene. Oh my god, what was that all about? I, I kind of missed. She was so like, I think I think she's she just she going to make it. Well, I think that she just wasn't used to driving that much because okay. I don't think That's women where like my my grandmother, uh, who is much older than that woman in that movie, ha never drove a car in her life, never once. Um, and so I think that maybe she just, cause she has a driver, right? Like, why would she ever drive? So I think she just like <laughs> had never driven one of these like gigantic, not only this, just like gigantic boat of a car, but like just didn't drive that much. <laughs> it was a good scene and it was a, a lighter moment. Those, those are important in movies like this that are dealing with such heavy, heavy it's, stuff. It's nice it's to funny, have those moments. It was funny too, because she like, she like starts, she goes in there, but then she, and she sees that she's just like scraping the shit out of her car, but then she just like commits to it. She's like, yep. we're going all the way in. We're, the the yeah. best way out is through like an arrow, you know? Yeah. And then the, and then the guy in the truck just gets out and is like, what the fuck lady? What are you doing? Totally. <laughs> well, hopefully her driving doesn't detract from the grade. Um, and hopefully we have <laughs> uh, given enough time to figure out what we want to grade this thing. If you haven't, think of it real quick, cause teacher thinks Ralph deserves an A plus. Just oh, like Ralphie. I think that this movie deserves an A. Um, Kat, what do you think? 
I also think it deserves an A. Uh, yeah, I think everything was done really well and it was really thoughtful. And unless you don't like slower movies, I think that's the only thing that you could probably say about this movie that is a negative thing. So yeah, similarly, you have to be ready to, if you don't speak Spanish, uh, you have to be ready for uh, breaching the cultural and language divide. I was, I did find myself flailing a little bit like with November early on, but uh, it paid off in spades to, to get punched through that part, much like she attempted to punch through the traffic with her car. So two A's. Uh, Devin, you're going to throw um, yeah. us, uh, uh, throw a wrench in this thing or what? Yeah, just F, F terrible. No, <laughs> um, I, I think that I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was extremely good. I think, like I said, my only gripe is just sort of some of those kind of what's the point moments where I never really felt like a satisfying answer, but I think still excellent. Uh, so I'm gonna go with A minus. All right. Not going to Harvard. Okay. So James Pepe, where'd you land on uh, Roma? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really torn about this because I think this movie is is very very good, um, mm -hmm. but I do sort of wish that it had taken an opportunity to. I, I don't know. I mean, like saying that this movie doesn't make a statement is not right because it does, but I don't. But I think that like, I I don't know. I feel oftentimes I feel like I am left wanting some something that i can like something that the director or the author or whatever you want to say has like you can see you can see their hand at work in, in a substantial way and maybe this is just because i'm so used to reading philosophy where it's just like this is what i think this is why i think it and here's the argument for why i think that yeah um and not often do you get movies that are like that but you do i think I think movies offer that opportunities for, and I mean, there's plenty of movies that are like that. I guess I should say there are plenty of movies that present a point of view. And to say that this movie doesn't have a point of view, I think is wrong, but to say that, but I do feel like there was some money left on the table that the director, I think could have picked up and done something with. Yeah. So all that being said, <laughs> I I'm no, I, I just want to like agree with you there that if, you know, if I was to call out a uh, nitpick something about the movie, it would be that uh, where it ended, I at least was hoping that she would get a little more something of substance out of the arc. Yeah. Something tangible, um, something we could point to and be like, I feel very hopeful for you now or something. Yeah. It does really feel like a nitpick because oftentimes you're, you can say like, oh, this like the the this movie could have been braver right it could have made it could have had a point of view and it could have said something you know if it had been a little bit braver but i don't think you could call this movie coward cowardly right it's brave it it definitely knows what it wants to do and it does it um and so i feel bad giving it an a minus uh because i don't know that, that it deserves that but well devin already messed up the perfect score so it's like you know it's okay at this point. well you know no, i also <laughs> I, oh, I'm taking up so much time, but I also thought a lot about about this movie in relation to Parasite, and I thought a lot about that, and I thought, like, did Parasite do that? Because they're talking about similar things, right? And how would I have... Do, do I like Parasite more than this? 
but the movies are so different. Um, I, I'm just, I guess I'm just going to say an A minus because it did leave me wanting something. Sure. Um, you got to yeah. be honest. Yeah, exactly. And you're you're the type who I, from what I'm sensing anyway, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you do like when uh, a director or the writer of of whatever the medium is has something specific to say. Yeah, I do. I, I like that. I like it when I don't I like it when if a movie wants to have something to say, like I think this movie clearly does, that they come out and say it. And that doesn't mean that it needs to be ham handed or it should not hit you over, hit you over the head with it or whatever. But yeah. I think that this movie toes that line so closely, like it walks right up to it and gets as close as it can. But then for whatever reason, just doesn't take that last step. I completely uh, agree. Yeah. So anyway, that's, I would yeah. like, I would like to actually I, find out more about it in that sense, to be honest, because I'm very curious about that. Yeah. I wish there was something between an A minus and an A, like some further, some further. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Figure that into your uh, GPA there. Yeah. All right, Jim. So I'm very curious uh, where you uh, ended up with your grade on uh, Roma. Uh, definitely a solid A. Um, I was pulled mm -hmm. in. Uh, I was pulled in immediately, and it was definitely the cinematography. But I, I think the scene that encapsulates how I feel about the film is a very simple scene where it does the panning left to right that you guys were mentioning earlier, and mm -hmm. it was showing um, the rooms, all all the different rooms, the kids' rooms, the parents' rooms, and all the doors were open. And they weren't there. And I'm so used to a roommate situation, and I'm just so used to our American society where all our doors are closed. Yeah. A garage door closed as soon as we go home. You know, I have roommates. All of our doors are closed. They're rarely mm -hmm. open. And so that the open door of all of the family was kind of an open door to be a voyeur in the goings-ons of this family. And, and the beauty of the scenery you know, at the same time. And I felt that throughout, you know, that always stayed. Um, and it was open in a way that didn't feel intrusive as a viewer either. Yeah. And, and the director, like not being, um, overt being subtle, like we, when they have that, you know, the Christmas party and we see the family <laughs> shooting, they're just shooting. You know, you have to figure out what's going on. I was trying to figure out what kind of white were they? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, what? Yep, where did they too. come from? Are they European, yeah. actually? Were they Canadian? What? You, you know, and um, it left you searching, looking for those answers in, in the subtle texture. So anyways, um, that's how I feel about the movie. It was awesome. It's different than any movie that I've seen in a cultural piece being a period piece you know uh and, yep. and very in, very intimate so i give it a solid a great and i liked your unique take on it as well so thank you for that thank you yeah so Devin, where does that leave our gpa for roma that tallies us up to the highest score we have given a film so far 3.88 an a minus 0.02 right. higher than 12 angry men our previous champion oh wow. 12 angry men golf clap nice yeah. this, one this one deserves it i mean it's wall-to-wall -wall, like 
it's just like it's all killer no filler you know yeah 250 wins yeah that's that a lot me. that's a mike tyson of a movie that's a mike tyson of a movie yeah absolutely exactly or, and how the hell did Oscar it protect our society that we're living in now it fucking it beats the shit out of green book or whatever probably won the oscar that year for the took the uh best film or whatever yeah, yeah i don't even picture, know yeah. i couldn't even tell you accomplishment so and best finest picture or something that they're calling it now that i had no idea yeah right <laughs> what's up cat i wasn't expecting the film to be received this well by you guys so i'm very ecstatic really here. yeah no i mean i thought it was a very good film but i wasn't sure because it was a slower film and because I was like, I was kept thinking like, they're going to be like, what's the plot? What's the plot? You know? And that was definitely, that was definitely part of, you know, some of the constructive feedback of, of what you guys had and why it was an A minus versus an A. But, you know, I didn't think you guys were all going to like this film. So I am surprised, but, you know, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, no hold up. That's fun. This movie, if that if that whole plot line of like her getting pregnant and then going to find the guy, if it had just been like us following her around, like a lot of the first part of the movie, I don't know how I don't know how you don't enjoy that. It's just it's so nice. It's just so nice to watch. So I don't I don't care. I, I love a slow movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, I will say this. I fully expected this movie to deliver. I just at some point in the first act i was like this like like devin and i were kind of saying like where's the plot or whatever i knew it was coming i just didn't expect it to take that long um and i i can say that i really i haven't had another movie deliver on that promise that late into the process so like he really um he really pulled off a hat trick with that structurally because that's, that's typically a no-no, but uh, he he made it work, and so yeah, I stand by the 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 A. Um, it definitely delivered, and uh, Chekhov's uh, artillery went off in the mm -hmm. third act. Man, a lot of stuff ended up happening to interrupt the uh, the slice of life parts. Okay, so that is Roma, and that wraps up our discussions for uh, series three. Yeah. Um, we actually okay. So next series is um, uh, mockumentaries, and we have all submitted a film to uh, watch for series four mockumentaries. And now it's time to roll the dice and uh, let fate decide what our first film will be for series four. So uh, whose turn? Who's going? Who's rolling first? I believe Jim has not rolled the, uh, this season or recently. So before, yeah. before we do this, I looked up what the best picture. Oh no, sorry. I sorry, never mind. Jump back. I was, in I when was you trying find to it. look up what the. No, no, no. I, 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 I know where you're going with that. Yeah, See, jump the, back in when the, you find it. The Devin Schwartz patented quick Google is not as easy as it appears. <laughs> no, no. I'm always very impressed and oh. thankful when you when you deliver on those. I was right. It was Green Book. Green nice. Book One. <laughs> you nailed it. Good production. Nice Excellent. Well done. And that's it, our it next beat, movie we're watching too. No. It beat it beat both this and Black Klansman and a couple others. But uh, Black Klansman was good. Fucking Green I don't know anything about Green Book. I don't. <laughs> what the fuck is that movie? Oh, Green Book. I wa I was like, I didn't watch that. No, I did watch that. That was the one about the white savior guy getting a black guy booked yeah, into the yeah. southern things. 
Yeah, yeah. Oscar's so white. The, the mm. revert, like the reverse driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. And it wasn't like a terrible movie, but it was definitely that old cliche, you know, trope. The yeah, white savior right. trope was was strong with that. Film. Yeah. And uh, and the fact that I didn't remember that I had seen it uh, speaks volumes about what actually deserved the. You actually, you know what else? You know what else got nominated? Which uh, the favorite, which was a, which was an awesome movie. But I bet none of you guys saw. I but so you should check that out. Keep yeah. that in your pocket. Keep that one in your yeah. pocket. Well, that now made... I can't because you all remember. It's all. It's no, in, I don't it's, remember things. It's committed to to. <laughs> when we launch these into space, we'll know they'll be known for the the rest of time. When there's that's right. in the Library of Congress that's coming. <laughs> when we embed them on a golden record and launch them on a that's satellite. That's right. Yes, Earth will be doomed if it's not already. Okay, so uh, Jim, do you have a, a six-sided dice uh, handy? Five is it or five? Ten. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. ten. That's ten-sided, right. so we can do five. Well, thank God you're here, Devin. Okay, yeah. the, ten, the ten-sided. I, yeah, I, I have it ready. I've, I've taken my dice on the road now because we're actually meeting in person for our games. But while oh, you guys right. were yeah. all talking, it gave me time to grab. Great, my ten-sided. we gave you time. Yep. Perfect. Okay, so let me open up the submission doc. Okay. And I'll get, oh, let me change to the different screen here. You almost got me, Stream Deck. <clears throat> All right, here's your drum roll. Okay, let's do it. Yep. Whoop. All right. I got an eight, so that's equivalent of a four. Okay, and did any, before I look, did anyone else uh, scatter the, the numbers yet, or do I need to do that still? Yeah, it has not been randomized. Okay, let me no, randomize it real quick. Do you guys see that that forum Jim had on the roll? That's a gold. That's a gold medal roll right there. Yeah, you, man. You should be on the USA dice rolling team, dude. When you're the DM, you get to practice so much more than anyone else. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we have been randomized, and we are ready to present the next movie to kick <clears throat> off mockumentaries. We Sweet. will be watching a little film called. What We Do in the Shadows, which came out in 2014 and is now streaming on Canopy. What nice. We Do in the Shadows. Very much looking forward to screening that and discussing it with you good folks. Exciting Excellent. stuff. Can't wait. Series cool. 3 went really well, and I'm really happy with um, all of the movies that were chosen were not what I expected and yeah. uh, actually much, much better. So... That was great, and I can't wait to see what we have in mockumentaries. But what we do in the shadows is a promising start. Um, before we wrap up the show, though, it's time to award this series winner with a <laughs> Who Dundee Award statue. <laughs> It's a big deal. Wow. <laughs> hard, hard cut on that music. And yeah, here's another one. And now the envelope, please. And the winner is yours truly. Somehow I pulled it off. I, I voted for Devin and it just lucked Yay. my way through it as I tend to do in life. 
So, uh, Devin, if you wouldn't mind handing presenting the new statue. Yeah, the yeah I have to I have to apologize, Ben. It, it says here uh, it says don't go in there after award. I, I mean, like I, I, uh, you could probably get that change. I'm real sorry about that. I didn't, <laughs> I'm not spending money out of my pocket. No, no one will read it anyway. But here, let but, me grab uh, yeah, that. Here you. you go. Been waiting for this moment. Got it. Thank you for that handoff. <laughs> don't go oh, in there wow. after me award. Movie, movie. You guys magic, know guys. you're <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have to add a new section called "How Done It." <laughs> yeah, right. Cool. Well, when uh, we submit our I've real one, so Devin has been dethroned finally by yours truly. I it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Finally, uh, a, a, yeah, a benevolent dictator. Exactly. So show, I'll move right on to show announcements because we're running long. The show announcement is: I win. Uh, I'm finally stepping up from a trophy case full of participation ribbons. So good for me. <laughs> and uh, I'll present while this my, proudly. While my, while my fall from grace was swift, my rise back to power will be uh, oh, violent no. and uh, un unending. Oh, we will see. Uh, unending. We will see. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't speak Spanish, but is 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 the game is on? What you said earlier. I'm assuming yeah, that's. Well, I said the game. No. Which is the closest to a direct translation that would uh, said, Google would provide? You said fuego, didn't you? No, 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 I said it was yeah, fuego. Said, it was fuego. It was well, your fuego. accent was terrible. Uh, like the th, your accent is terrible. You didn't want to try to do an accent too bad and have it come across like kind of racist. So I was so trying like to. You like, just yeah, said the wrong so word. I tend to only <laughs> try for accents when I'm actually like RPing, you know, with you guys when we're playing, because otherwise, yeah, I, I'm worried it's gonna sound like I'm appropriating it or something um cool so we'll we'll move right along then and i'll i'll uh, keep my beloved statue close for the rest of the show <laughs> um so uh nobody's gonna want to win after this actually because it's literally the don't go in there statue? after me award how gross is that statue ben Ooh, yeah i don't know i'm gonna get that does, clean, it, have, does it have devon gear right all over it um i would like well do, slimed the, there's a thin layer of uh dust and muck some not not unlike this swamp muck from last week's uh, movie. Uh, yeah, I'll, right. I'll, 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 that's part of it. That's part of it. Maybe maybe Devin's trying to seduce you. There might be some poop and armpit hair in there. Too much and muck. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to if, if you want to seduce me, listeners, you can write to me at ben at redhenmedia.com and we we may respond on the show. In fact, uh, if we get our first email in, I guarantee you we'll respond. So have at us. Um, and that really just about wraps things up. Who goes there? Who is it? <laughs> this hour? Just one more thing. Oh, should have figured it's Lieutenant Columbo coming by to say we have time for just one more thing, where each host shares a little something from outside the show. Um, so I'll be real brief here. I uh, hit on a show that I had had on my list for several months. It did come out this year, though, so it's relatively new. Um, it's based off of the game Dota. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's a series. It's a fantasy series. I'm loving it. I'm coming off of... I was coming off of... Uh, um, oh, what's it called? Castle. Thank you, Jim. Mm -hmm. I was coming off of Castlevania and looking for some kind of a fix like that, and Dota uh, really delivered on that. So if right. you haven't checked it out yet, Dota on Netflix, really great animation. I, I haven't gotten too deep into it, but the story is very promising. Um, and um, I don't know. I I don't play the video. I haven't played the video game, so I really don't know anything about it again. But uh, the show itself is delivering nicely. 
So go ahead and check out Dota on Netflix if you want a little fantasy animation uh, adult um, uh, fun. Not that it gets uh, gross or anything. Ooh, yeah, not, not that adult, but just like not not your Saturday morning cartoon fair, I should say. It's uh, it's also, got the, it's got the violence and the dragons and the and the uh, pathfindery stuff. While you're at it, check out the song "Dota" by Bass Hunter. Great song about the game, also about the game. Oh, okay, yeah. I should probably look into the game and see what the heck it is. I, I've heard well, of that it, song. Uh, that song by those four girls that are like avatars. That uh, KDA, that KDA oh, yeah. song. Yeah, there's like an in-game band or, that was played by KDA that made it. Yeah, that song. song well. That song's awesome. Yeah, so you KDA guys have awesome. played the game. It's not a genre I'm interested it's in. Not, it's not a thing I want to play. Yeah, it's a MOBA. Oh, it's now a I want to know a particular more, type of game. Okay, interesting. Hmm. Well, the show is definitely uh, some good fantasy fare. So highly recommended. Uh, what have you got for us this week, Kat? Um, it is another book recommendation. Um, I just finished it. It's, um, it's called The Vanishing Half. It's by Britt uh, Bennett. And it's a historical fiction, which is one of my favorite genres, personally, um, about two twins, identical twins, um, both raised in a small Southern, but predominantly Black community. Um, and they are light-skinned Black girls that then become, one twin becomes passing as white, so basically identifies as being white, and the other one marries a dark-skinned Black man, so sure identity stays as being Black and just kind of looks at both their lives and how drastically their lives are lived because of that it's in the 1960s in the beginning. So um, that gives you further context to the Is that fiction or nonfiction? Again. It's a historical fiction. Yeah. Historical so, fiction. So I know some yeah, twins that were born semi-recently that I that one was very light-skinned and looked white, and then uh, the other twin was uh, darker-skinned. And, yeah, and, I heard about uh, that too. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's why I was wondering if it was based on a true thing or not. So historical fiction, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah that would be that would be a fascinating subject to explore, and, and, also, a, and a good way to highlight those differences this, that that are inherent. Yeah, definitely. To our but society, also, I should say, the writer is just—I mean, it's just really great writing, and she's able to jump from not only the twins' perspectives but a bunch of other characters' perspectives, and just do it so well. Um, so I just really enjoyed the book overall. It sounds like that thing is ready to be adapted into a film, too. That would be something that would probably work. So get after it, someone. If you're a writer and listening, go check this out. What is it called again, please? Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Go snatch it up before some other uh, adaptation writer gets it, guys. Uh, okay, cool. Well, thank you for that. And Devin, Mr. Devin Schwartz, what do you got for us this week? Yes, I got a podcast for you this week. Um, I don't know if any of you heard of it. I, I've been told it was fairly popular when it came out. Limetown. Have any of you heard of Limetown? Mm -mm. Devin, you promised okay. us Apple yeah. content for weeks. I know. I actually have a good. I have a good reason for this because I am so obsessed with this show. It's it's over now. There's only eleven episodes. Uh, yeah, eleven episodes total. Um, okay. It is a short fiction podcast that is very much like a radio drama plays out like a radio drama cool, cool. the premise is that there's this town that was built as sort of a utopia like this perfect place for scientists to uh like live free from society basically and uh one day they all disappear 
and the, the like everyone in the town just vanishes. And then the podcast takes place 10 years later um, where this investigator, this cold case investigator is like going back over the details and it's very much presented as like a cold case podcast. And hmm. then she inextricably becomes tied to this case, becomes part of it. And, you know, that's sort of the, what kicks it off. Um, very compelling. I like, I, I find it hard to talk about this show because I talk very emphatically about a lot of things I like. I, I, I throw around the best blank ever a lot but this really is like uh, it is something incredible and something i think I, I am not surprised was very popular when it first started uh and i i think is amazing i think everyone should listen to it if you're into, into suspense if you're into radio dramas if you're into sci-fi any of that just you have to listen to it it's, it's short they're like 30 okay. minute episodes there's 11 of them it'll take you a couple hours i listened to it in two nights of work that's how and, much i was obsessed and with what it. is the, what's the name one more time lime town lime town Okay, Lime it's on Spotify. Well, I don't take your recommendation lightly because the last one you recommended, which was what Outlanders or something, um, just I'm just uh, that one's Wastelanders. Thank you. I'll never get that right. Um, that one's wrapping up, and I'll need something else to jump off to because that one was super good. So I'll I'll, I'll back you up on recommending that one again, and I'll definitely check out uh, the new one too. Um, okay, so James Pepe, what have you got for us? A five thousand dollar book. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm I'm a little late to this party, but I just recently watched uh, HBO's miniseries Chernobyl, and it was oh super my God, good. So good. Yeah, there... yeah, um, yeah. It was the in particular the first two episodes because uh, they were all very good, but the first two episodes were particularly good because. Uh, they don't know what's going on, and we obviously have the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. And it makes everything that happens uh, so much more like weighty and, and horrifying. Talk about <laughs> adding a timer into your into your plot. You know, yeah. everyone I mean, knows Chernobyl. Yeah, I mean, these people you see them on screen, and they like the the guys like go go look at the go look at the thing that's broken and you're just like no don't go look at the thing but they go look at the thing and it's just like oh okay so that guy's dead that guy's dead that guy's dead that guy's dead you oh, know yeah they're just Definitely. like all dead men walking yep and uh and like radiation poisoning is just like the scariest thing it's so scary yeah that <laughs> so, one yeah. a ton of awards too and the writer of that won a bunch of awards himself including an emmy and uh he does a podcast so if you're interested in writing at all uh you should look him up i don't have it off the top of my head because i didn't know we were going to talk about this but I, I am uh subscribed to their uh he and another fellow that's another well-known writer these guys are like really high-end working writers and they do a podcast about writing so it's definitely worth checking out mm. they know what they're talking about these are very much long-standing working writers with you know, holding the big awards and stuff. And they master class. It really is. And they do it weekly. They, they keep up on it. They even talk about the behind the scenes stuff that's going on with the union and stuff like that. So uh, if you want to feel like you're a Hollywood insider, uh, go check out their podcast. I'm sure you can find it. It's probably the number one writing podcast out there. I have another a stealth recommendation in the same vein. There's a channel on YouTube called The Corridor Crew that's a VFX uh, team, oh, and they have a series called VFX Artists React. It's like a React yeah. series, but it's oh, there. They break down, yeah, they break down and analyze VFX, and they did a whole episode. It's episode 48 of their series, if you want to go and look at it. That's all about HBO shows, and they do an extended portion about the CGI, the, the special effects in Chernobyl, hmm. and like uh, particularly the like 
plume of smoke coming out because like no one has ever no one alive has seen like that like it, it's not on film there's no evidence we don't know yeah. what that looks like yeah. we don't know no, what a film, reactor film break, like, what down looks like yeah so they had to invent what that would look like based on yeah. like, the science they have and that was Very really interesting episode 48 yeah. okay episode 48 wow. of vfx artist react so see your your recommendation pepe is now spawned two uh stealth recommendations yeah i know so it's well a, done it's it's because it's such a powerful recommendation that it's it's, no, uh, it's a solid one. It's, it's multiplying. Yeah. Everyone's got to yeah. check that out if you haven't. It's, it's, a good it's budding into and it's a mini series. It's not even that long. It's just a really tight, great mini series. Yeah, it's like six or eight episodes. Yep. I think I watched it over the course of like two or three days. And also, um, a, there in one of the episodes, um, Barry Kaogin. I don't know if that's uh, exactly how you pronounce his name. Can't but I you. know I, I know him from Killing of a Sacred Deer. He's the sort of main, uh, one of the main characters in that. And he's an incredible actor. And so I was really happy to see him uh, show up. Hopefully we'll uh, see oh, him. Oh, since you guys have seen it, he, he shows up in the, in the, in the episode of, that focuses on the three guys that go around dealing with the animals. He was yeah. sort of the main oh, guy. Oh, yeah, 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 the hunter yeah yeah badass hunter guy yeah he was a standout yeah no no not him the oh kid. he wasn't the, the be- oh, oh oh okay okay the new guy yeah 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 the new guy yeah yeah that was an important role yeah yeah that so he killed it in are that. you kidding me I, oh man that job would be just rip your heart out every time it's, yeah it's terrible and the, yeah. it's and the other thing that's funny about it they like they make those like they make those like metal like cod pieces to like wear, and it's just like, dude, what? that's not gonna help. Like, come on, man, you're just making yourself uncomfortable. You're all dead. It's like uh, yeah. Terminator Two when she's just telling everyone they're all dead. You know, that's well, that's you, you as know, the audience the, in this watching Chernobyl. I will say this: the the thing that I liked about the series the most, and I'm sorry that I'm going on. I know we've been trying. This is supposed to be this short. This will be but, our longest show to date. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> I the things that uh, Russia, generally speaking, doesn't often get portrayed in a good light and for good reason. However, reasons in this in this show, it shows these people in Russia that they have a problem and Mm -hmm. they make hard decisions about solving this problem and preventing it from becoming a problem for basically the rest of the world. And I thought that yeah. that was a really interesting and good thing to show that there are still these, the people over there are still just people and they still want to do good they things humanize them. oftentimes, yeah. you know, and that's what, that was one of the things I appreciated about it the most. I, I just want to say that same with the Bay of Pigs. There was uh, somebody on, a, on, on the Russian side of that encounter. I think it was Bay of Pigs um, did not launch a nuclear armed after being ordered to and and therefore prevented a nuclear war at that time in the 60s and that was a human making that choice you know and uh yeah it is interesting to see those little moments that make such a big impact on something that could have been it was terrible but it could have been way way worse and a lot of people it could have been way way worse and uh and gave their lives to make sure it didn't get worse yeah lots of just like regular Russian folk just was like, yeah, I'm going to die, but I'm going to do this. So millions of other people don't die. And it also highlighted the terrible, terrible politicians vying for power. Yeah, right. Caused the damn thing in the first place. So there's that too. 
screw those guys. They deserved it. Yeah, so, uh, okay, so one more, just one more thing. Uh, Jim Scott, you get the final word. Uh, yeah, my uh, just one more thing is a uh, uh, actual play podcast that just came back because they're, they're touring again in person. Oh, neat. And it's, it's uh, Gla- the Glass Cannon podcast, which you can find on uh, Twitch when they do their live streams, as well as youtube when they upload them um later and it's the uh they're doing the strange aeons adventure path and i really enjoy these guys they just uh i think uh finished their episode 21 so they're not that far you know along and they do like usually one a month you know um and it's just so interesting strange aeons is um a pathfinder is the system but it's a uh, it's uh, uh, cosmic horror, a Lovecraftian inspired. Um, the cool. players start off in an asylum, and uh, their memories are wiped. In this case, the player characters do not know who they were. Um, and not only that, there's horrors descending upon the asylum. Um, so it's just uh, it's really interesting. It's my setting. I actually ran this adventure path, so it's interesting to see another take. The DM's really, oh, you really know good. all the details then. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting, and that and Strange Islands was my. I ran several campaigns throughout my lifetime, and Strange Islands is my favorite. Um, so, interesting, huh? Yeah. Okay, cool. I I have been meaning to check out Glass Cannon for a very long time too. So it's another area I've been errant. I'll, I'll definitely have to uh, dive in there and see what I think. Yeah, and I'll for let sure. You know. For sure. Yeah, thanks for that suggestion. You're welcome. And with, yeah, sure. And with that. <laughs> I think I'll miss you most of all. Dorothy's here once again, letting us know it's time to say goodbye. I'm not crying, you're crying. Let's start <laughs> with Kat. <laughs> I'm Catherine Ramirez. It's been real. Catch me on Instagram at Kat Ramirez with two Z's. See y'all next time. Yep. See you next time. Series uh, four. Oh, I should say that we there is a, a bye week that we're taking off. Mm-hmm. If I'm saying that r- right. Um, so in a fortnight, we will be back for series four. So have a good week off, everybody. Uh, Mr. Devin Schwartz. I'm Devin Schwartz at Devin Schwartz one on Twitter and game over, man. Game over. Game <laughs> over. Watching series three sail off into the sunset and looking forward to a new series arising in the dawn in a fortnight and uh lest i keep continue to blather on james pepe yeah i've been james pepe i'll do an old person way bye and bye <laughs> i'm james pepe and uh thanks for listening i hope to see you guys back in two weeks yeah join us it's gonna be great uh little what we do in the shadows and oh, yeah. uh, mr jim scott gentleman jim scott uh, yeah, I'm Jim Scott, and, and thank you for uh, listening, gentle listeners and friends, and take care. Yeah, take care. We've loved to have you on for Series 3. This has been a great series, and uh, we look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks for Series 4, Mockumentaries, which is a richer vein than I might have guessed, so join us for that. And this has been I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. And now that you've looked at ours, we hope to look at yours soon. 
If you enjoy the show, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, give us a five-star review, dot those I's, cross those T's, sign here, initial here, and don't forget to tell your friends. And certainly don't forget to check out What We Do in the Shadows 2014, now streaming on Canopy before next series kicks off. Until next time, lookers, keep on looking.